Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Infinite Frontiers, the current DC publishing initiative. And remember when DC was putting out like four or five, six books a week, and people were saying, oh, it's the end of DC. They're rolling back. They're not putting out much content. They laid off a bunch of people. 18 books this week, everybody. 18 DC titles. So uh, we decided to split this one up in Insane. two episodes for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean... So we're going to talk about nine and part one. We'll talk about nine and part two. I mean, it's just a crazy amount of books. And for the most part, they're, they're pretty good. You know, I got to say, nothing really stood out as being absolutely terrible to me. Uh, so, yeah, the the all the rumors, the demise of DC, obviously, as we said at the time, were uh, just nonsense, really. Um, so we're going to dive into the books because there's so much to talk about. But real quick before we do, I want to remind everybody that coming up this next Sunday – August 1st, I will be at the Terrificon comic book convention at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. And the reason I'm going is because the organizer of the event uh, graciously invited me. Mitch Halleck is his name. He graciously invited me to host a charity auction there that I was already organizing. I was in the midst of organizing it. It's for a little two-year-old boy named Titus who's battling leukemia. And every Friday he goes in for chemotherapy treatment. And every third Friday, in addition to that, he has uh, chemotherapy treatment that's injected directly into his spine to keep the cancer from spreading there. And he also has to have a platelet, a platelet test before uh, every treatment to be sure that his platelets aren't low. And if they are, he has to have a blood transfusion. So you can imagine for a little two-year-old guy, it's a lot, right? He's got five siblings and parents, and they're just dealing with this uh, ordeal together as a family. And there's a lot of love there. So it's a great cause. Uh, if you're going to be at Terrificon, it's the auction is going to be on August 1st, as I said, room B from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. If you're not going to be there, you can still participate. We're going to broadcast it on YouTube. We'll take bids via YouTube. So go to uh, the comic source on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Right at the top, there's a pinned tweet where you can see all the details. You can go to lrm.com. You can find the details there on the comic source section of LRM online. And uh, also on that Twitter thread, you can see all the items. We have some really great things like original art from Adam Gorham, and a, a cover sketch of the Hulk by Todd Nock. There's an original Kyle Rayner Green Lantern from V. Ken Marion. There is a page from Nicholas Scott's Wonder Woman run. I think it's page uh, 18 from issue number two, the, her first issue of Wonder Woman in the Rebirth era. So there's right. tons of great stuff, some really rare items. Um, Probably the rarest item we have, uh, Let's Play, which is created by uh, a creator named Manji. Um, she has one of the most popular Webtoon comics, digital comics in the world. Uh, millions of people re read this comic, actually, right? So they just recently put out uh, some trade paperbacks. They ran a Kickstarter to, to collect these digital comics that had never been in print before. Well, she was nice enough to donate the press printing proofs for the cover for volume one and volume two. These are one of a kind items. So you will have the only one in existence. And I should also mention that Let's Play has been optioned for an animated series. So if you're a speculator, you know, like I said, millions of people read this web comic. It's, it's been put into print now and you can have the one and only for volume one and volume two, the one and only printers uh, press proof for those trade paperbacks. And I imagine if it if it goes to series, I mean, they're, they're probably around, probably valued at around $1,000 uh, from what I was told by the publisher. And if it goes to series and gets even more popular, you can only imagine. Like imagine having the 
the one and only printer's press proof of like Walking Dead, like the first trade, first or second trade, and how much that would be worth, right? You'd be the one that could say, I'm the only one that owns this. So uh, we have a lot of rare items like that, and it's for a great cause. So uh, tune in. You might find something you like. Uh, if you're going to be at the show, certainly join in. There's going to be some giveaways uh, as well. Uh, nobody's going to leave empty-handed that attends the uh, auction in person. So really appreciate the support, everybody. And even if you can't be there or you don't have the means to uh, bid on anything, please just share it on social media, retweet it on Twitter, throw it on your Instagram. That way we can have as many people show up to the auction as possible. So Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put some links below this on YouTube as well under the, uh, under the reviews so people can follow it, that, can link on it too. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of great stuff, everybody. A lot of signed trades. Uh, there's a Jimmy Palmiani Batman sketch. So, yeah, there's right there's tons of great stuff. So, uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and dive into the books for this week, uh, starting off with Action Comics number 1033 from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. Daniel Sampier is the artist. Adriana Lucas handles the colors. Dave Sharp on letters. It's War World Rising Part 4. Uh, what did you think of this one, Rocky? Uh, I gotta say things are, things are gradually, I think, dare I say they're gradually improving. Uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson continues to, he's, he continues to find his footing. I, um, initially, of course, he's building off of Brian Bendis's storylines and he did, he did of course say it's well established that he is following Bendis's continuity, uh, for, for good or ill. And he's actually doing, I think, a pretty good job here. At first, I described it earlier on as putting lipstick on the pig, so to speak. But he's actually making it his own. And it's, he, it's, I, I was actually really impressed with uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's scripts here. Uh, this, is, uh, this is part four of War World Rising. And uh, uh, he starts off by, uh, by making it, uh, by building on uh, what, what happened last issue was uh, we, we have the, the Genesis fragment is uh, the Genesis fragment is actually in the, in the uh, it's being guarded by the Atlanteans. The Genesis fragment was the, was a small fragment, a rock that had powered the uh, war zone warship that had come from, uh, from the, from Mongols battle world. And, from from Mongols war world and in any event uh, on the ship were were Kryptonian refugees but while the Kryptonian refugees are are within Superman's fortress of solitude where Lois Lane is looking over Thea uh, Theola and uh, her other uh, refugees uh, the the main world is close to World War Three fighting over this Genesis rock because it's it's very powerful and. The Atlanteans, the Atlanteans are quite angry at Task Force Task Force at Force X. Of course, uh, your favorite character, Jace, Amanda Waller, <laughs> naturally sent. Her <laughs> yeah, she sent in a team to try to uh, seal this Genesis fragment, and this causes a lot of tension in the Justice League because the Justice League is now debating as in terms of how to what to do. Aquaman is no longer ahead of uh he's no longer leader of Atlantis. Atlantis now is democratized, so it's uh it's a it's basically the Lexus leaders now. He's not the monarch of uh of Atlantis nor is Mira, so he doesn't have a lot of influence over what Atlanteans decide to do, but they say if you try to take this Genesis rock, which was basically the ship landed in in the ocean, it's their territory, they're going to have words uh, Batman wants uh, tries to encourage Aquaman to speak to the Atlanteans. Uh, meanwhile, you know Black Adam 
And it's actually a fairly good discussion around the table between Black Adam and Hippolyta and uh, and and Superman getting in on the discussion. Uh, thankfully, uh, Naomi doesn't have anything to say, and and I'm pretty sure the only reason Naomi doesn't have much to say it's primarily because it's somebody other than Bendis writing the script. <laughs> and uh, and and by the way, Naomi is there. Her back is to his. Her her back is actually to to uh to the reader. But in any event, Superman is really more concerned the fact that he's got a, a Kryptonian or what he believes are a race that are related to Kryptonians, uh, with slaves on the ship, slaves that need their help, and he's got in the fortress. Lois is taking care of them. And Superman's really concerned about that. Runaway slaves running away from a war world. And one thing that really stands out here that Philip Kennedy Johnson manages to do very well here uh, in a much superior way than, 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 than Bendis ever could is I actually really got into the mind of Theola here. She is, uh, you know, she, one thing that uh, Mongol did, he had all his slaves up in chains, and they they have this they have this saying that uh, you know for he who holds all chains, and the person he who holds all chains is Mongol himself. And the the importance of the chains is that every time if you're a slave and you kill somebody, you get another link on your chain. So the heavier your chain is, that's actually a sign of your bravery. It's a sign of your strength. The longer your chain, the longer the the more the more you have to be proud of because you've got all these chains. That's how powerful you are. You're, he you're, you're strong enough to lift all these chains. Of course, it's also a sign of being a slave to Mongol, but Mongol t turns it around so that his slaves take it as a badge of honor that they wore these chains. It's, it's very intelligently done here. It's very well scripted. I really got a strong sense of, uh, of what the culture is on War World. It was very well done. The tension between uh, Theola and John Kent, who doesn't like the fact that she, he's there because he, he, still has mem he still has recollections from when he was in the Legion of Superheroes that uh, his father, that, that Superman Kal-El might, might die as a result of trying to help these refugees. And... And Lois at one point tries to extend extend an olive branch to Theola, and uh, she she reacts because Theola. It becomes quite clear that Theola is not used to being treated so nicely. She's from a very harsh environment, a harsh culture. Even though she's a slave, it's hard for her to get out of that uh, slave mentality, and she she struggles with that. And uh, you know, again, Philip Kennedy Johnson does a really good job of scripting that struggle and. Uh, and Daniel Sampier's art is absolutely just gorgeous here. His renditions of uh, Theola and Lois Lane is just, really, it's just incredible. The brilliance of Mongol here. Superman suspected, everyone suspected that this was likely a trap, that these Warzoon warships showing up on Earth was likely all part of a ploy. And in fact, it ex that's exactly what it was. Mongol has one of his, uh, one of his uh, minions actually carry some sort of device that allowed them to escape and there's a vi there's quite a graphic scene where one of mongols uh his own minions actually ripped this device out of the body out of their one soldier and and of course you know it's considered an honor to die for mongol and again it's just it's uh and apparently the language that that they speak on war world is malt malt cynical is the language Maltzunical. Anyways, uh, thankfully we got the translations. <laughs> Anyways, really great art. Uh, 
just some really great, great scenery here. And Superman gets involved in the, in the, in the altercation between the Atlanteans and the Americans, uh, because the Atlanteans won't allow any American ships to cross their waters where this war zone ship is located up in, inside of which the Genesis fragment resides. And meanwhile, Theola, Theola is, is watching as her is, is at the fortress looking over her, her, her fellow refugees who are still healing. Meanwhile, she's getting more and more powerful from our yellow sun because she's used to being on war world where it's a red sun and there's a red, there's a red sky and the ground is always humming. Earth is different. Earth is beautiful. It has a blue sky. She's growing more and more powerful every day. And she's, she's, she really struggles with what she knows she has to do. She, she's there to portray and to, do some something bad to Superman and the L family. It's quite clear, and we don't know what that is, but it's fair to say it's not very well. And Mongol sends his troops, his 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 other minions in uh, to threaten Theola because he has doubts as to whether or not Theola will carry it out. Lois Lane sees this, and Lois Lane, in great Lois Lane fashion, weapons up. There's all kinds of weapons in the fortress. There's a gorgeous scene of her uh, taking a shot at. At, at the uh, Mongols minions and saying, you know, if you pick a fight you with one of us, you pick a fight with all of us. It was really good. And yeah, I, I was, I quite enjoyed this. I, I, I was actually really pleasantly surprised and I'm actually really, you know, we know how this is going to end up in future state. At least he's going to end up fighting in, uh, but the, the journey getting there is actually very interesting. I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed this, man. I don't know. How, are you with me on this or not, Jace? Uh, so I sort of have mixed feelings, right? Um, you're right. Now Now that Philip Kennedy Johnson is getting to just tell his story and, and not having to have those weird transitional issues and set up things for future state with John Kent and, you know, becoming Superman on his own and, and whatnot, he, he's really finding his footing, like you said. The problem is, for me, that like you just said, we know where this is going. We know that it leads to future state. You know, here we go again, talking about what a misstep we feel that was that they came up, came out with those future state issues, this glimpse of a possible future. Maybe it's probably not going to happen the way that it happened exactly in future state, but it's clear that Superman is going to leave Earth. And why, why Superman's left Earth before to go on missions. Why this time is it such a big deal that he, that he has to name John as his successor and, you know, that's the part that that's that I'm not enjoying. It feels like we're being force fed this idea of John Kent as as Superman. And as soon as that happens, in my mind, any chance for John and maybe it's just wishful thinking, any chance for John to go back to the John Kent we all love, the 11 year old boy, I, I think it becomes a lot harder to put that genie back in the bottle, you know, and we know it's going to happen at this point. You know, the 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 books have been printed. Uh, it comes out tomorrow or today as you're listening to this. So, yeah, he's John Kent. It comes out the same week as this. Uh, Superman, son of Kal-El. So I think once that happens, yeah, the idea of John ever being de-aged back to that 11-year-old boy that we all loved is is sort of gone. And the fact that this is contributing to it sort of bugs me a little bit. You know, um, and maybe I should just get over it already, because like you said, there are some interesting ideas here. And as far as the scripting, uh, as far as what 
Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing with the story and the dialogue, it's all it's all great. It's very well done, and I I am enjoying the story. I am intrigued by the politics that that uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is is adding into this book. You know, usually you think of Superman as sort of an apolitical figure. He's uh, he's sort of a citizen of Earth, right? And there's been various times we've talked about it. It's not, it's not even, you know, truth, justice in the American way anymore because that's thinking too small. And there's been various people in the media, especially on the right, who complain about that and, oh, you know, trying to say that Superman doesn't like America. It's not that. It's that he, he wants to protect the whole planet, um, including the Atlanteans. He's trying to protect them from themselves. You know, the, the fact of the matter is this Genesis fragment is a piece of the source wall. It's very dangerous. And, you know, I, I said before, right when uh, they first got it, the Atlanteans first got it, that it was a bad idea for them to keep it. And we saw that last issue. You know, we, we saw, I think it was issue 1032, Superman said he was going to take it and keep him safe in the Fortress of Solitude. Atlantean said, no, that's it's ours. That happened in 1031. 1032, last issue, we saw the Genesis fragment kind of manifest some real bad stuff uh, that could have possibly ended in, you know, many, many people losing their lives. Um, and that's sort of what prompted Amanda Waller, apparently, to overstep, as she always does, and send in some members of Task Force X to try to steal it, basically, and, and causing this international incident. Um, and so I, I, I completely see where Superman is coming from. And, and you know, to my point earlier, <laughs> he should just fly in there, grab it, and leave. Be like, I'm making this choice. Doesn't have anything to do with any government or whatever. Uh, I'm sorry, it's too dangerous, and I'm just making the choice. Um, it's not usually Superman's way, you know. He, he's not that heavy-handed. Um, Superman and the Authority from last week by Grant Morrison, notwithstanding. So, like I said, we're just not used to seeing this sort of political side of of Superman, and we're not used to seeing him express his opinion so forcefully. Uh, like he does here. And it's clear that he cares a lot about these possible Kryptonians that are out there on world, the fact they're being enslaved. And maybe he's thinking about the fact that he's been a little too insular. His, his uh, viewpoint has been a little too skewed to earth. And so maybe that, you know, if you think of it in those terms, then it makes sense. I'm going to go not just to free these slaves from war world, but really to have a, a bigger idea of what's going on in the galaxy. Maybe I need to keep a bigger idea uh, or a bigger understanding and have a wider view of what's going on in the galaxy. I trust John to protect Earth. Uh, I mean, I think that's where we're headed. But again, it just feels so editorially driven rather than creatively driven. Um, and so it, that's the part that doesn't sit well with me. I mean, honestly, I'm probably going to feel this way about a lot of stories for a long time. And it all goes back to kind of the convoluted nature of editorial at, at DC since – I'd say late 2019, this idea that was driven by Dan Didio of, hey, let's have, uh, let's celebrate all the generations. Let's do 5G. We'll have the, you know, the older generation replaced by the newer generation. And, you know, would that have lasted or whatever? And then the, trying to shoehorn and use some of the ideas for work that was already created, whatever. It's just been, it's been a lot of stuff, right? And you, you wish you could go back, but you obviously can't, but you wish you could go back and just, if, if Didio was going to leave, you wish they'd made that decision sooner before everything got all convoluted. And they're, they're trying to, like you have said many times, put lipstick on the pig. Right? They're trying to use some of these ideas, and it's not necessarily working. And we're going to end up with two Batman, 
Now we're going to have two Supermans. One's out in space. John Kent back here on Earth. That's the whole – maybe that was the whole reason. We blame Bendis, right? Like, Bendis, why did you age up John? We hate it, we hate it, we hate it. It's entirely possible that that was one of the things Bendis was told that he was supposed to do. We know Didio brought him in, and there's no – uh, you know, big surprise if, if 5G was being planned that far back. Dan, you know, definitely plays the long game. And he could have told Bendis, yeah, you come on. And one of the things we're going to have you do is age up John and you can figure out how to do that. And, you know, because he's going to be, the, you know, the next Superman in this 5G thing. And so, again, it, that part of it is is what just doesn't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, Superman has left on missions so many times before not knowing if he would return and he's never felt the need to put somebody in his place. You know, he's asked Kara, you know, Supergirl before, but maybe it's just a chance that he hasn't had a chance like this before. Right. Like his son is old enough and he feels that he's capable enough, certainly with the missions they've been on recently that he he can name a successor and go and leave and, and not worry uh, as much like he has in the past. So again, those are the things that kind of bug me a little bit. Uh, I am sort of intrigued by this more political Superman, um, even at the same time that we're not used to it, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you got to take chances as a writer. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and telling the same sort of stories. So I, I did enjoy this. Uh, and I think uh, as Philip Kennedy Johnson's story goes on, I'm enjoying it more and more, certainly much better than the stuff uh, he did with Superman and Future State. Um but you know what really helps me to really enjoy these uh, action comics issues is the art by Daniel Sampier. Yeah. I would venture to say that if Daniel Sampier was on the Batman book or Detective Comics instead of Superman, and we know that we all know Batman very, very greatly outsells the Superman titles, his he, he would already be a household name. You know, like a lot of people love Jorge uh, Jimenez and rightly so he's a very talented artist. He's got a higher profile than Daniel Sampier. There's no doubt of that. But if mm. the roles were reversed, I think Daniel Sampier might have the higher profile. His art is absolutely fantastic. And one of the things to me that, that shows that DC editorial realizes this, how often do you see interior artists that get to do the covers on their own books these days? Yeah. It's the exception rather than the rule. There are, artists that specifically only do covers and even with two covers, oftentimes, you know, a regular uh, cover and a variant cover that's usually on cardstock at DC. Even then, most of the time, neither of those covers is by the interior artist. That is not the case with action comics. Daniel Sampier does the cover a more often than not. And you can see why, I mean, you look at the cover of this and it is awesome. It is so good. So often he does montage pieces, and it's just it's fantastic. The uh, the choices he made for the Task Force X members and and the way their camouflage was depicted was awesome. I did kind of wonder why they didn't bother to show us. So, I mean, there are other people of Task Force X, other members that aren't the actual supervillains that have the bomb in their neck or what have you. Um, but I think it would have been kind of cool if we'd seen who these. Uh, these two divers were that were going into the ship to try to steal a <laughs> fragment. And it was somebody like, I don't know, uh, Talon or, yeah. or peacekeeper or uh, uh, peacemaker or, or, you know, whoever it would have been, would have been fun. 
Um, yeah. So, but not 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 a big deal. I, I can't remember who's the the real what? big girl with uh, that's always cracking the jokes. I can't remember her name off uh, the top of my head. But... Ch- Chulabra. Yeah, yeah, Chulabra. she would have been funny. Yeah. yeah, she would have been funny to to funny, see yeah. in there. Um, or even I did kind of want. Go ahead. I was going to say they need a killer shark or some sort of killer shark. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. villain. I mean, yeah, it's perfectly would... suited for the sea. They need they need some sort of aquamarine su- super villain to 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 do it. But yeah, just... I mean, Black Manta would have been an obvious choice, but he's yeah. not a member of the team anymore. But the other thing I thought was, as it was going on, I was reading the first couple of pages. I was like, really, these guys are just going to swim in there and steal it out from underneath the Atlanteans? Like the Atlanteans should be able to feel the movement of the water. I mean, these people might be invisible, but being invisible in the water is not the same as being invisible on land. I mean, you're still going to notice the water is displaced, right? And the bubbles from them kicking. And But then they did get caught, and maybe it was because of those things. So I, I didn't mind it so much. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed this greatly. I, I think that the Action Comics has been getting better and better. Uh, you know, you mentioned the whole idea of Mongol with this sort of dichotomous uh, sort of rule over these slaves. It's brilliant when you think about it, right? It's a great idea that um, that Johnson has come up with, this idea that the more chains and the more weighed down they are and the more he controls them and the more he enslaves them, they're perceiving that as the greater, the more powerful they themselves are as individuals. That is brilliant. That is, it's a brilliant on Mongols, diabolical on Mongols part, maybe I'll use that word, and brilliant, a brilliant storytelling uh, choice by uh, Kennedy Johnson. And the other thing is whoever the little baby is, that's like one of Mongols lieutenants that fascinates me as well. Like it's this little baby in like a bubble head, like a little infant baby, but it's got this giant robot body. Uh, so what's that all about? That's really uh, interesting to me as well. So yeah. yeah, I thought it was great. I thought the art was fantastic. I mean, there are several pages in here that are just stunningly good. The one where the sun is shining through uh, from behind Superman and John and and Supergirl as they confront the Atlanteans and the uh, U.S. military that are about to uh, start shooting and killing each other in the middle of the ocean is just fantastic. So, yeah, there's a lot to like here. And I would say uh, the backup story with uh, Mr. Miracle and uh, Midnighter, which is written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, with art by Michael Avon Oming and colors by Takasomi, Dave Sharp on letters. It's starting to make some sense to me. Uh, it's It's been a bit convoluted. We know that Midnighter's stuck in this loop. You know, we saw that in the Future State um, Superman Worlds of War, where this story sort of started. Um, and now that Midnighter and Mr. Miracle have teamed up and as Midnighter sort of explaining to Mr. Miracle what's going on, things are starting to fall in place. It's starting to feel a little less convoluted. Um, and I'm normally not one that says wait for the trade or read that in trade because I know how important the sales of the monthly comics are. <laughs> but man, if you're a fan of Midnighter or a fan of Mr. Miracle, or you just like the beginning of that story and the future state stuff, I would say wait until this whole story is collected and then read it together because it's going to make a heck of a lot more sense then. <clears throat> and I'm almost to the point, like I am enjoying, I'm starting to enjoy where this is going, even though I'm not a big fan of, of Midnighter. I sort of credit uh, Brandon Thomas, who's the writer on the, um, or Brandon Easton rather, who's the uh, the writer on the Mr. Miracle Shiloh Norman miniseries we're going to talk about later in the episode. Um, he's making... Shiloh Norman so interesting to me because Shiloh Norman, I'm like, if we're talking Mr. Miracle, give me Scott free. I don't want to read about Shiloh Norman. 
Well, Brandon Easton has done such an incredible job. I I'm, I'm starting to come around to being a fan of Shiloh Norman. And so because that's the Mr. Miracle that's in this story, if I do decide, and I'm almost there, I'm almost there uh, with the story that Clunan and Conrad are telling. If I do decide to reread the story, I'm going to, it will be reread when it's all collected or when I have all the issues and I can sit down and read it from start to finish. Cause I think it'll make more sense, but I don't know. I, I felt like this was a step in the right direction starting to get good. Um, maybe it's the little bit of the buddy cop feel buddy cop humor between Shiloh Norman and, and uh, midnighter that we get here. But yeah, it's, I think it's heading in the right direction. So uh, did you yeah. uh, read the backup on this one, Rocky? I, I read the backup. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, it's it's kind of funny. You say you're finally starting to maybe appreciate the story from of what Midnighter's doing here. I, I actually, I'm getting more and more frustrated with it myself, and and it's and I even, I mean, I usually, you know, try my best to explain what I think is happening in the story, and I just, I just, I really think that uh, I think it's going to read terrible as a trade. I because I've I've re, I've read them together, <laughs> and they they don't. I I I really think that this is uh, Becky Clunan's worst scripting in a long time along with Michael W. Conrad's this doesn't flow well and it it's very choppy future state was very choppy to begin with uh, it started off confusing as hell and I mean I, I I can piece it together but I I don't think it's gonna this is not doing the midnight or any justice and uh, thank God we have the Mr. Miracle uh, the source of freedom series with Brandon Easton because he's doing a great job making us love uh, Shiloh Norman because uh, otherwise I certainly wouldn't love him reading 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 this backup feature uh, th- this is just Midnighter rescuing uh, Mr. Miracle because Mr. Miracle's because Trojan because uh, Andre Trojan of Trojan Solutions stole a mother box. Uh, and he's using the mother box to power up his technology because he essentially wants to convert humanity into robots or he wants to become a robot himself because he has disdain for all of for humanity itself because uh, he thinks we could all be better off being computers and this is uh, this is a future that ultimately neridium is is a is a is a power source that is the exhaust from war world and neridium is something that also uh, Andre Trojan is is what ultimately going to be uh, wants to obtain and it in combination with the mother box and iridium in future state he wants to create something that is even more deadly and powerful than than, than kryptonite and this is a future that midnighter wants to prevent from happening and this is why he's doing all this now that is definitely the coles notes version and um in any event it's all right it, it's it's okay i i will say this i can't believe i'm saying this but the the art uh is actually uh growing on me uh, so I, so uh, uh, kudos to uh, you know Michael Avon Oming. His art is actually starting to grow on me. I finally got accustomed to it. But in any event, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I, I'll be glad when it's over. Let's put it that way. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, all right, well, on to the next book. We're going to talk about Batman Reptilian number two, written by Garth Ennis. We have art and colors by Liam Sharp. Letters are by Rob Steen. Uh, we saw last issue that uh, there was a, a huge gathering of the Batman's rogue gallery. They were attacked by some unseen and unknown uh, monster and Batman's basically trying to find out what's going on. And it starts off by him talking to the penguin and uh, there's a, it, it's brutal. Um, Rocky specifically mentioned how after reading the first issue, we felt this is a black label book. So it works perfectly fine. This is a very different Batman. He's a little more brutal 
Um, yeah. Or maybe the word is a little more callous, right? Like he's not necessarily out to save anybody. He's not killing anybody, but he's not necessarily out to help anybody either if he if he doesn't have to. Uh, he feels like these criminals have sort of made their bed and they're going to have to lie in it. And so uh, the book starts off and he's talking to the penguin who was at that gathering and is, is wounded. And he's asking questions, trying to get answers from the penguin. And the penguin's, you know, kind of moaning and groaning. And <laughs> Batman tells him, don't try and move because what you're holding on to is supposed to be on the inside of you. I don't even know why you're not dead yet. He's not moving to help him. What you're holding on to is supposed to be on the inside of you. And then he mentions, yeah, um, there's only t two uh, or, or even the riddle uh, the Riddler's in a coma and there's only two of his men that even survive. And while he's saying that one of the men's like, he goes, make that one of the Riddler's guys who, who survived. So he's just letting them die. He doesn't care. Right. He's not killing them, but he clearly doesn't care. And so he's trying to get answers from uh, the penguin about who did it to him. And the penguin's talking about, it, it felt like he didn't even want us. He basically, this monster or whatever the heck it was came and, and tasted us is what he says, you know, and, and kind of spit us out. And so Batman is uh, actually thinking about that and running some tests. He, he uh, obtained some, uh, some of the penguins blood to see if whatever bit him left any traces. And he's talking to Alfred and he's, he's basically saying, yeah, you know what else bites people and lets go is a great white shark, right? Like if uh, it's, under the water or whatever. And it sees a surfer that, that uh, silhouette, that shadow of the surfboard from underneath. It looks very much like a seal to a shark. And it's like, it's gotta be pretty embarrassing to get bit by a shark and then flounder hundreds of yards to the shore, knowing that you weren't even good enough to be eaten by the shark. Right. And so <laughs> I'd say the same thing about these thugs, you know, it's clearly this thing, whatever it is after it's not after just a common thug or even, villains like the the penguin or um any of the other rogues gallery joker or whatnot that were that were there uh what is it really after and so in this issue he, he goes looking for answers he tries to track down some other people that were there tries to figure out what's going on with the joker and ultimately he tracks down the uh the villains mr freeze and and poison ivy who have sort of teamed up to try to be safe together and he gets there right after they've been attacked once again by this mysterious villain whoever it is and uh mr freeze is hanging upside down with broken arms and broken legs and batman's just like hmm all right again doesn't move to help him necessarily and uh he's like yeah what what can you tell me you know about this and the answer is not much that we really don't have any idea at, at this point still of of who the big bad is in this story but uh, the art by Liam Sharp, it's all painted and it's gorgeous and it's moody and it's so creepy. Uh, I know Liam had said he was kind of drawing inspiration from uh, the Arkham Asylum series uh, or one shot graphic novel, whatever you want to call it, from Grant Morrison that was painted by Dave McKean, uh, who, uh, who Liam loves. And I know Liam would say that he's not in Dave's league at all. Because uh, that's kind of how Liam is. He's very humble, but <laughs> I, I'm very reminded of the sort of visceral art of Arkham Asylum and the mood and the emotion that that art evokes. There, there are different styles, obviously, um, but I'm yeah. I think the art is 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 fantastic. It's so emotional, and you know there are times where it's a little more abstract 
and things are elongated and Batman's ears or costume or cape or what have you. And it just, it helps set that tone and that mood that you're just engrossing yourself in this really creepy mystery of Batman pursuing this giant villain, whatever it is. Um, and, and again, like Rocky said last time, this is such a different Batman, a Batman who uh, is less concerned about the survival, <laughs> I guess you'd say, <laughs> of of his rogues gallery. And it's sort of refreshing in that way um, oh, to just yeah. see him go, well, you know, you, you're you making your bed and now you're going to have to lie in it. So, yeah. Uh, I will say I didn't feel like we necessarily got as big of a chunk of story in um, in this one as we did in the first issue. And I think it has to do with the opening scene in the first issue, which felt so sort of weighty and, and set the tone for how this Batman is when he confronted the guy uh, who had just been uh, acquitted of charges of uh, assault or, or what have you, the, the boxer, um, which again, very smart for Garth Ennis to do that, to really show us that's a, a different sort of Batman. Uh, but this one, it, we just dive right in. We just pick up right where we left from from last issue. Like I said, with uh, with Batman interrogating the the Penguin, um, and and him even telling the Penguin, "Yeah, I, I did actually call the paramedics, but I told him the wrong floor to give us more time to talk," <laughs> which was another thing that I was kind of. It's dark humor, but it's uh, it's funny nonetheless. So very much uh, a Garth Ennis way of uh, injecting humor into the story. But yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued by who this villain might be, and what this Batman's capable of. Like, okay, eventually we're going to find out who the villain is. But I'm very curious what that confrontation with the villain or the monster or whatever. I'm very curious what that confrontation is going to be like with this sort of more callous Batman. So anyway, what did you think, Rocky? Yeah, I, this is uh, this is fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed this. I don't even care about the villain. I'm more interested in knowing this, getting to know this Batman. Uh, this was hilarious. I this was just I had so much fun in a in a very uh, in a very dark kind of way. This is great dark humor. I mean, when he's he doesn't care less. He could care less if the Penguin dies, the Riddler dies, the Joker dies. He shows up. Yeah, he'll help them. But I mean, if they're gonna die, they're gonna die, and I mean, uh, telling the paramedics that they're on on the wrong floor, so he has more time to talk to the penguin. He made he he tells the penguin, "I'm gonna take your blood if if you're not gonna consent." Recite the alphabet backwards. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't even recite the alphabet backwards when I'm lucid, let alone if I've got my if I've been a you know been attacked, eviscerated, and tortured by some crazy uh, monster. But in any event, uh, this. What's it's fascinating into the mind of of Batman here because Batman tries to defend himself because when uh, Bruce Wayne's having a he's having a discussion with Alfred and Alfred is not buying it for a second. Alfred Alfred is basically hinting to him that you know you're kind of an asshole. Uh, is kind of what Alfred's saying. You're, you're kind of you're you're harsh and Bruce Wayne is actually defending himself. He insists that his conduct is all part of an act, and but Alfred's not buying it. And 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 I thought it was very interesting the discussion he had with Alfred uh, after the fact, just some of the things that Alfred Alfred was saying. Uh, and it was just, it's you know, again, Alfred Alfred is uh, there's a you know, uh, uh, he said uh, when he's 
Bruce Wayne talks about, you know, he says, amongst my peers and in the underworld, I enjoy a reputation for excess. Whether it's entirely deserved is open to question, but it has, I think you'll agree, stood me in a very good steed and therefore worth maintaining. Uh, and then Alfred says, that's what you were doing. I mean, you know, you can kind of tell, like, is to what extent is Bruce, is this really just an act? Because Bruce Wayne seems to be enjoying this just a little bit too much when he's Batman. I mean, Batman does seem he's Batman comes across these horrific scenes <laughs> as Batman and it doesn't seem to phase him he comes across you know you know you know penguin's been tortured and eviscerated mr freeze is all his bones broken ivy's been sc- scalped i mean holy moly i mean this is horrendous a uh, riddler's in a coma uh the joker's hiding out i mean i mean i know batman hates his villains but this is uh somebody this is visceral stuff and you know, hey, because this vil- this monster that's doing all this is going to just be, a, is basically just doing it for food. We don't know what the motive is, but it's, it looks like it's maybe it's just maybe more instinctive, uh, an animal type of instinct as opposed to an actual uh, character motivation per se. So uh, this is, I'm far more interested in this from a character study of this new uh, breakdown of, uh, of a darker Bruce Wayne. And I got to give full credit to Garth Ennis. This is a unique take that, is very different than even even Frank Miller's. Frank Miller Frank Miller's Batman was old and dark and, and, and with a hard edge, but this is even more of a harder edge than than Miller Batman. Quite frankly, this is bordering on <laughs> maybe closer to an undiagnosed psychosis. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. In any Psycho- event, it, it's a lot yeah. of fun, and and I share your comments on the art. Uh, Liam Sharp, as usual, is doing a fantastic job. <laughs> yeah, psychopathic Batman. That's what they could have called it. Batman psychopath. They could have called it so yeah. Batman reptilian. And that's the other thing that really has me wondering about who this villain is. The fact that it's called Batman reptilian. Yeah. Uh, and they found estrogen in the, like when they <laughs> tested Penguin's blood. I'm like estrogen. Like, I mean, I, I could be wrong. I mean, we know estrogen's a female hormone, but I th- and again, I could be completely wrong. I thought, and I don't know why I thought this. Maybe I'm remembering my AP biology from high school. I thought estrogen was a a mammalian um, hormone. Like you only found it in mammals. So I don't know. Even if it's yeah. a female reptile, would it have estrogen? I don't know. Could anyway. Be. Well, you know. Either- yeah. Well, female females are always in the animal kingdom. They're a little bit more violent in, in uh, usually the more yeah. violent, aren't they? Often. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I don't know if if you're a biologist and you are aware that. Female reptiles have estrogen. Please reach out and let us know. Inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. Uh, all right, moving on to the next book, also a Batman title. This one's starring the Huntress. It's Batman Secret Files, Huntress number one, from writer Mariko Tamaki. The art is by David Lapham. There's a blast from the past. Uh, Trish Mulvihill does the colors, and Rob Lee handles the letters. Uh, very much ties into the events that have been happening in uh, Detective Comics recently. It makes sense. Mariko Tamaki is writing that Detective Comics series, and she's writing this as well. So uh, what did you think of this one, Rocky? I thought this was – I was actually disappointed in this. This was a redundancy. We didn't need this. I I I thought the story was kind of a waste. I I actually like Tamaki. I like Marika writer Marika Tamaki's work on Detective Comics. I think she's done a really good job on 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 her writing of Batman. I think she's done good, and I've enjoyed it. And it's her best work at DC, quite frankly. It's a lot better than her Wonder Woman work. A lot better than her young adult fiction work. I I just I just 
uh, I've been enjoying it. And so her main villain that she's she worked on in Detective Comics, that was the main villain in Detective Comics, the one that killed uh, Mr. Worth's uh, daughter and that uh, uh, was this Hugh Vile. And basically, uh, this Hugh Vile was sort of like an he's a parasitic character that he would he would when he bites his victims he could he could almost control them he he could bite them and then they would become infected and that would make them become uh crazy killers and this uh this sort of carries on from that i i'm i'm maybe being a little bit harsh uh i will say i really like david Lap- lapham's art on this and trisha mulville on the color she did a really good job this the the title of this secret files issue is called huntress in in uh i see you and what's interesting is that apparently when hugh vile bit her when hugh vile bit her and infected her it it gave her the ability to see through the eyes of hugh vile's other victims who are also some of them are still missing and these other victims are killing other citizens of gotham city and because she can see through their eyes for some reason and and she's she's not infected anymore this this is huntress waking up in the hospital she's not infected anymore and she uh she's actually alongside uh another uh, another character who was infected she steals that character's this deb donovan's coat takes off uh because she she's she feels she has to go and save save these people because she can see through these other people's eyes that are infected and and that's really the entire issue this is a 37 37 pages long or maybe 32 with ads i'm not sure but uh, but this is a this is kind of pricey and just for it's just her running around gotham uh you know she goes home first and then she's she throws up and then she she finally gets out and you know she i i have to say there are some great pages here. There's a page here for those uh, listening to the podcast. There's a page here with the huntress essentially slouched, slouched over her toilet. And she's, and it's a great scene of David Lapman's art where all these people that were infected by the Hugh Vile, uh, are form this, this image in her head. And it, and it's, it's, it's the color work is just by Trisha Mulville is just fantastic. I mean, it looks really, really good. You get a sense that the Hunters has a lot of crazy things and visions going on in her mind, and you can see what drives her to 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 jump out of her, you know, to jump out and help these people and help these people uh, from well, actually preventing them from killing others because they're all possessed. Because she can see all the people that are screaming that these people who are possessed are attacking, and. So artistically, this is one thing that really saves it for me. I really enjoyed, I mean, visually, this was really great to see. I mean, there's a great scene with Huntress looking in the mirror and as she's she's staring into her own eyes. Uh, in fact, the use, the close-up of the eyes here really came through in different panels. She stares at her eyes and her eyes turn red when she sees through the eyes of someone else. And so that was well done by the by Trisha Colville, uh, Mulville, Mulville, the colorist. And... And then the rest of the issue is her just chasing down all these people that are possessed and attacking others. And uh, again, it's kind of gory. It's sick because there's maggots that come out of green maggots that come out of the eyes and the nose and the face. And, you know, again, very well done. But 
I um, again, the visuals are fantastic. There's a two-page spread with them at a drive-in, absolutely gorgeous. And uh, unfortunately, those watching on YouTube, I don't have the, the layout to to get a full appreciation of two-page spread. But this is going to be. I can't wait to pick this comic up. It's good visual. Like visually, this is a really great comic. I just felt that the story, story-wise, I mean, it was just her running around. It was a beautifully drawn issue of Huntress just running around, stopping people being attacked. And then ultimately at the end, just realizing that, oh my God, she just, she realizes that Batman is infected and that it's, it, Batman is likely he's infected. So she's got to rescue Batman because, uh, she bit Batman and Batman's infected. That part baffled me a little bit because I would have thought that, uh, she would know that Batman's been infected or, or that Batman would have already checked to see if he was infected but in any event, it's going to be continued in Detective Comics 1041. And, you know, I I thought this 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 story could have been told in eight pages. This literally could have been an eight-page backup to Detective Comics. It didn't need to be 32 pages <laughs> in a Secret Files issue. I really think this is a waste of issues, except for the fact that the art here and the coloring by David Lapham and Patricia Mulville is so fantastic that... I'm glad we, we got it for that purpose. So I'm sort of torn here, but I do think story-wise, it's a little longer than it needed to be, but beautiful art. Yeah, I sort of agree with you. Um, and, and not necessarily for the exact same reason. Uh, I did, I, so I'm not a big fan of the Helena Bertinelli version of uh, Huntress. I, I prefer the old uh, Helena Wayne version. Um, but it makes sense, you know, with... It happened after Crisis on Infinite Earths way back in the day and when there wasn't an Earth too, so it made sense for them to change it and, and whatnot. But I don't know, her, her tendency to be more violent, the fact that she's got this whole thing of she wants revenge on her own family for them being a crime family and whatnot. I don't know. It all sound, sounded and didn't sounded very cliched and didn't work for me. It was just kind of tropey. Um, so this is really the first time I've read a solo story from her that I, I enjoyed for the most part. I liked more than I didn't. I do agree with you that if it's important enough to tell the readers that Batman's infected, then yeah, you should have put it in the regular detective book and you easily could have done this in a backup. Um, maybe in this week's detective comics, 1040 leading into 1041. Um, but I also agree with you. The art, art is fantastic. So David Lapham, most of the people will know him. He, he kind of made a name for himself on, of the Valiant books back in the day, specifically Harbinger, which isn't necessarily a, a capes and tights kind of book, right? It's a, it's a superhero book about a superhero team, but much more grounded and down to earth. And when people think of, you know, fantastic superhero comic book artists, they, David Lapham is not uh, an artist that comes to mind necessarily. Now that doesn't mean that he's not a genius and it doesn't mean he's not well-respected and it doesn't mean that he's not one of the best sequential storytellers as an artist because he is. Uh, and the fact that a lot of his work over the last, I don't know, decade or so has been more in other genre, whether it be crime noir or slice of life or, or just kind of weird horror off, you know, offbeat stories or what have you his ability to tell a story sequentially is, is almost unparalleled. He is so good. And for him to jump on a superhero book and still keep all those sensibilities and give us great visuals for the Huntress 
I agree with Rocky. Like this is this is amazing work. I mean, he, there's several times where you get these big double page spreads with all kinds of details, and it's just gorgeous. And and honestly, I don't think I've ever seen David Lapham illustrate a traditional superhero comic before. Um, not to th- say that I didn't think he could, but I just I don't remember ever seeing him do one. And I'm blown away by how incredible this is. It totally works. And uh, I was I was really impressed. Um, he still keeps that quirky sense of style, and there's plenty of gross moments. Because, again, like Rocky said, the whole idea of the eyes. And at the end, when uh, Huntress is confronting this guy who's, like, trying to chop his way into his girlfriend or wife's uh, apartment, and it, he zooms in on the eye right as the parasite breaks through i mean it it's grotesque i mean it it is not for the the faint of heart it is nasty <laughs> um so yeah the the art the, and the color work you you know rightly so uh giving a lot of credit to trish mulvihill because the colors are outstanding really helps set the mood and and whatnot but i'm still not a big fan of uh, helena bertinelli um and i do sort of agree with rocky like i didn't necessarily see what the point of this was other than just to give her the spotlight and to, uh, I don't know, get people to buy another book. I feel like a lot of this could have been in the pages of Detective and maybe should have been in the pages of Detective Comics. And and one last thing that I didn't really understand. So it used to be these Batman Secret Files books were really like secret files, right? Like they tied in, you'd get some who's who type pages. You'd get some unknown stuff from the past. There'd be some big revelations there's nothing about this book that's secret files, <laughs> nothing. Uh, exactly. Um, yeah. And you know, you could say the same thing, maybe a little bit to a lesser extent with the signal secret files that we had recently, at least that was, uh, you know, f- focusing on Duke Thomas and he's not a character that's really showing up in any Batman books right now. So in that way it was, I guess you could, I could see the using the word secret, um, but this one, this is all about the storyline that's currently going on in Detective Comics. So, and uh, Helena Bertinelli has shown up in the main story and was uh, uh, in a, like three or four issues of a backup story. So, there's nothing secret about this, and there's nothing filesy about this either. So, I don't know. It seems very strange to just call this Batman Secret Files. I, I, I don't. Know. It's it, it's just a misnomer. Just call it, you know, Huntress versus vile yeah. or, or what, what I, I wonder so. i wonder if is there is this is is maybe the secret of this secret file if, is does helena bertinelli now have a secret power does that virus because why does she why yeah. is she able to yeah. see you know, why you know because she was cured like uh it's mentioned it's actually mentioned in detective comics 1040 when we review that when oracle inquires of the nurse she's told that that uh, Huntress is the virus is out of her system. So if the virus is out of her system, how come she's? Why is she seeing through the eyes of these other victims? Is there something that ha- that you know? Because Huntress even asks in this issue, you know, why, why, you know, I, it's out of my system. Why, why do I have this? Why am I feeling this way? So some maybe something is up. Who knows? Like I, I know you hate that. I know that you particularly hate you know when when you know. <laughs> We don't need more superpowers in the in the Batman Bat family. Keep them out of the Bat family. But uh, who knows? Maybe we're gonna. This might be something long term. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that. But again, I don't think it warrants calling the secret files. Again, I just 
if it if it's important enough, and this is kind of how I felt when I was reading it, because I did enjoy the issue um, more than I enjoyed the story more than you did, um, and I think we both really enjoyed the art and the colors. But I did sort of feel like, along with feeling like I don't understand why it's called Secret Files, I did feel like if it's important enough to tell the story and to put it out there and expect people to buy it, then it's important enough to be in the pages of Detective Comics to add to that story. So the other thing that I should mention, and you have the cover up right now, if anybody's watching on YouTube, the covers, both of the covers are pretty damn fantastic on this book. So maybe that's why it needed its own book so they could give us these awesome covers. <laughs> Show it off, yes. Yeah, because they definitely uh, are pretty cool. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Batman Superman number 20 from writer Gene Luen Yang. Yvonne Reese returns on pencils. Danny Mickey on inks. Sabine Rich on colors. Seda Timofanti does the letters. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, and no, that's it. That's it for the creative team. Um, so I, I do find this interesting that this this whole story continues that we've been getting about the uh, auteur I.O., and these different worlds and, and whatnot. I remember a couple of issues ago, Rocky feeling like this thing was going on too long <laughs> and it should have ended already. And, and I was saying, yeah, I know we're getting a demon story at some point. So I guess it's going to end with like 19, even though we know the whole series is ending with, uh, I think 21. So they're going to get the end in 19 and then 20 and 21 are going to be a two part demon story. No, not not even close. This whole story, Gene Luen Yang is going to be on um, Batman Superman for I think seven issues. I think is is what it amounts to, and apparently seven or eight. Uh, and apparently, it's just one big story he's telling. He just has this one story with Autour Io, and uh, again, it's it's keeping with the film uh, motif of of this Autour Io uh, villain who is a, basically a spinoff of, of Brainiac who, you know, that version of Brainiac way back from Convergence that's captured all these worlds and whatnot. And for, for whatever perverted reason, he wants to make one perfect world. And the way he does that is he gets his minions to splice them together. All the worlds are, are, are film reels and he can splice the film reels together. And that's basically the merging of worlds. And we see that here with uh, the demons world and the world of tomorrow, which is, the world that the Superman that's been the version of Superman that's been starring in the story the whole time has, uh, has shown up in. Um, so it's, it's fun. Um, the Etrigan version that we get here is the rhyming version, which I, I mean, it's okay. I'm, I'm more of a fan of the Etrigan version that doesn't rhyme. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, sometimes it pulls me out of the story because the rhymes, and again, it's really hard to write in rhyme, which is why I feel like the writers just, just don't do it. Just don't even try it. Because uh, when it doesn't exactly rhyme, it does pull me out of the story. I find myself reading it multiple times, trying to make it sound correct in my head. So just, you know, don't bother. But it's fine. That's a choice Gene Luen Yang made. And, and you know, that's that's his prerogative. Um, the art by Yvonne Reese is absolutely spectacular. You know, again, continuing that film motif, all the borders are uh, little strips of film. And, and that's... That's pretty cool. Um, I do feel like a little bit that I wish that they would have just canceled um, Batman Superman when Future State started. And if Gene Luen Yeg had this story to tell, I kind of wish they would have told it as a black label story. Because clearly this has nothing to do with regular DC continuity, right? We're getting these yeah. other versions of Batman and Robin and Superman, and that's perfectly fine. 
But selfishly, the reason I say that, just make it a black label story because it does fill out a continuity. If they'd made it a black label story, we could have gotten the bigger format and we yeah. could have gotten bigger artwork from yeah. Yvonne Reese. He might've been able to lay things out and we might've been able to get, you know, just bigger, more bombastic artwork, which, you know, when you say more bombastic artwork for Yvonne Reese, I mean, it's already leaps off the page at you. So why not make it bigger? You know? So again, it's, it's, I'm selfish, selfishly saying that it certainly works in the format they're using. And I think it's a really fun story. Uh, and I'll be curious to see if uh, anybody picks up the, any of these, uh, these versions of Superman or Batman um, or even the, the villain that he's created Autor IO, because I think they're all uh, there's more stories you could tell with them. Uh, even the, the Lex Luthor that we saw, um, that version that died last issue. Um, there's more we could learn about him. Um, so yeah, I, th I think this works. I, I particularly like the, uh, the costumes, the different costume changes we get when these versions of the heroes go into different worlds, which basically it's, it's really cool the way that uh, Gene Luang Yang does it. Everything is, is celluloid, right? Everything is filmed. So when they need to go from one world to the next, Superman literally like burns a hole in the film and they fly into, into that hole and go into that world by entering the film. So it's awesome. Um, and I really like the uh, kind of the, gunslinger outfit that Superman wears at the beginning of the, the issue. I think it just looks really cool. So, it, I mean, you can tell that the whole creative team is having a lot of fun telling these different, uh, telling the story with all these different versions of the characters, but it's really one big uh, narrative. So I'm having a blast uh, reading this. Um, I will say that the one thing that really worked for me early on was sort of the, um, like the newness, the freshness of the feel of telling the story uh, yeah. with the film or what have you. Obviously, we've gotten, what, five or six issues of that now. So that doesn't feel quite as fresh. Uh, it still works, but the excitement of that has sort of worn off. But that being said, there have been enough other little moments in the story that uh, I don't necessarily think it's a it's a bad thing. Um but again, to go back to the idea of doing it as a black label book, you could have, if you had done it as a black label book, you also could have told it in fewer issues because it would have been, you know, more pages per issue. Um, and that feel of the newness of the idea of, of telling a story this way with all these different worlds as different film reels might not have worn off so so quickly. And it, to Rocky's point earlier about it, feel, I feel like it should be over by now. With black label, it could have been like four, you know, oversized issues with great, you know, big panels of art. Um, and we might not have felt that way. So again, I'm, I'm totally nitpicking um, and I'm selfishly saying I would have wanted as a black label book to, to see the art more clear. And um, yeah, I just think it would have been cool. But uh, all that being said, I'm still loving the story. Um, Yvonne Reese is a, is a genius. <laughs> There's no other way to, to put it. Um, and, even though he's been working the last couple issues with uh, an inker that he doesn't usually work with, usually it's uh, Joe Prado or Albert O'Claire or both of them. For the last couple issues, Danny Mickey has been doing the inks, and I haven't noticed any drop off in, in quality at all. I mean, Danny Mickey's a very talented inker, so I wouldn't necessarily um, expect there to be a drop off in quality. But sometimes when you get people that haven't worked together, you know, there's sort of a, a learning curve until they start gelling. Uh, and I didn't notice anything. I think Danny Mickey's inks are fantastic. And the colors by Sabine Rich, 
uh, it's right there in her name, right? These colors are so rich. They really pop off the page. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, especially when she gives us the, the flames um, from any of the film burning, because that's what this auteur IO, the, the way he tries to destroy these worlds is he sets these film reels on fire and all that. It, that's not drawn. That's all just by the color artist. And she does a, a fantastic job. Um, and she gets even more into that idea of bringing flame and things burning, because like I said earlier, Etrigan, his world and the world of uh, tomorrow are being merged. Um, and so there's a lots of burning going on in, in uh, the world of the Superman we get in the story as well. And she, again, that's her, that's all her and she does a fantastic job. So um, I sort of don't want Jean Luen Yang to stop giving us Superman Batman stories, but again, maybe he only, maybe he only had this one in his back pocket uh, and he'll have, he needs to take a break before he can think up another one. But yeah, I think this is going to be one of those stories that uh, sells really well in in trade. Would not surprise me at all. So, anyway, what were your thoughts, Rocky? Still ready for it to to end? Going on too well, long for you? Or what? Uh, I am I? Yeah, it, it, I think it it has dragged on, but at the same time, it's so obvious that they're having fun doing this, and. You know, this is uh, just an absolute clinic workshop for for artists. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm staring at a page here. It shows Artiro wrapped in film strip, and you can see you can see the film strip and the different shades in the film strip and the, the coloring by Sabine Rich, incredible. And what a what a what a truly original way of looking at the idea of parallel worlds and alternate universes. About thinking of it like, and there's actually a page here where they're literally, it shows them connecting the two film strips, connecting the two movies, the, 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 the demon movie of the fiery pits with the man of two worlds of, of the Superman movie. It's combining, it's, it's literally splicing the two movies together, combining the worlds. And, and it's, it's just, you know, it gives a very good visual metaphor and a visual reference to the idea of merging two universes and it works and this arterio he's just obviously he's devious he's evil it's 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 a lot of fun and how superman i mean like you said and and there's a page here where you could see the film strips the two worlds merging together the demon the demons from uh from hell merging into you know essentially i guess metropolis or gotham city as the strips are spliced together that full page, just on that one page, it's just incredible. It really is good if you just stop and look at the page, and just just even looking at the sides of the page and seeing the sides of the film strip, you can see them burning and and being spliced. And then, like you said, Superman burning his way, but just enough burning his way using his heat vision to get into the film strips. As there, uh, there, there's literally two double page spreads, one after the other, and I I would. I would love to ask Ivan Reese how many, how long it took him to do those, do those two double page spreads. Absolutely gorgeous, truly gorgeous. Yeah, there's a lot of detail. <laughs> it's just incredible. Like, I'm staring at it now, which unfortunately it can't do it justice on on uh, for those listening on the podcast. Uh, I can't. I'm I'm only showing one page at a. I can only show one page at a time. I uh, just the the nature of how we have this set up on on the, on uh, YouTube. But uh, 
it's really is gorgeous. I could I could take time and literally just stare and see the the details and all the films are and the different colors and Sabine Rich how she changes the the shading on each individual film strip. <laughs> it seems. I mean, that's wow. That's dedication. Like it's it's impressive. It's really impressive. Yeah, you but, you remember issue nineteen? Uh, Yvonne Reese had a lot of help in the different yeah. various eras uh, as probably why, because he was needing to get to work on those two, yeah. <laughs> those two double page spreads. So, yeah. but uh, no, it's, it's quite good. And this issue ends uh, with demon, with the demon being in basically, I guess, earth zero in, in our universe or the, the mainstream DC universe. And he's making his way to the fortress of solitude uh, where he wants to utilize the weapons in the fortress to destroy the world. Because uh, remember, Arterio's master plan here, he wants perfection. And the only way to get perfection is to merge the, the all the best movies together to create the perfect world. The perfect movie will create the perfect world. That's the metaphor. And again, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I really so. want a, uh, I really want a Superman shirt with this, this symbol that he has, uh, it's, you know, much more simplified S, uh, I would take it either, either with the, the gold shield with the, the red S that this version of Superman has yeah. or the, the red shield with the black S that the robots have on the last page. Either way. I just think it's, I just think it's, it's kind of retro and it just looks cool. I, yeah. I would love to have a, a Superman shirt with that symbol on it. So. Uh, anyway, on to the next book we're going to talk about. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis is the writer. Alex Maleev, art and cover. David Stewart on colors. Josh Reed on letters. It's Checkmate, issue two. Um, dare I ask, Rocky, what'd you think? Um, yeah, okay. So, just collecting my thoughts here. Uh, uh, this is... Uh, it, it, it's... It became quite clear to me as I as I read this that um, I can tell this storyline is a little outdated. I can tell this storyline is definitely out, outdated, and um, it almost seems like Bendis is trying to uh, clear up some of the inconsistencies in this issue with with his writing on Justice League, uh, which I think is actually is actually better than than it is here on 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 in checkmate. I'm I'm not lost reading this. This is issue 2 of Checkmates, it's a six issue series. This really this really picks up uh from the, from these earlier Leviathan series. So if you're if you with Leviathan Rising and uh Event Leviathan and then there was Levi I think there was Event Leviathan Checkmate and a one shot and now there was a Checkmate series and Anyways, all you got to know is this, uh, what really, the, the bulk of what happened is that Sam Lane, Lois Lane's father died. Sam Lane died. Sam Lane was initially a part of Leviathan and then he betrayed Leviathan. And the last thing that Sam Lane told his daughter Lois was snowman's ticket, told her about the snowman's ticket, but Lois Lane doesn't know what the snowman's ticket is or what it's supposed to relate to. And um, what has so what's happened is that we've got we got Bendis here 
jumping all over the place in this issue. It starts off weeks ago in the new country of Leviathan, formerly the Commonwealth of Markovia. Remember that Leviathan bought the country of Markovia. He not only destroyed all the intelligence agencies on the on the planet, although he didn't do a good job because we got at least two or three of them coming back, uh, but he also somehow got a bunch of money and he bought an entire country, Markovia, and right away this issue starts off with it. It takes it takes weeks ago, then in later on in the issue we've got a scene that takes place two weeks ago, and then we got another scene that takes place maybe a year ago. It's 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 jumping all over the place. Leviathan here. I don't know. He he's. <laughs> I, I'm very frustrated. I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm. It's it's easy to sort of get get confused on this. Uh, new readers, I think, are going to be completely. I think are going to be completely lost. I don't really. People are going to be asking what the snowman's ticket is, and who cares? Who cares what the snowman tick snowman's ticket is? Uh, I just want to point out that the cover of this issue says, who is Damon Rose? And I just want to say for the record that Damon Rose is not mentioned once in this entire issue. He doesn't even make an appearance. That, that's how badly they screwed up, editorial screwed this issue up. Th th this, is, this is ridiculous. Damon Rose is appearing in Justice League. He appeared in Justice League 64 and in Justice League 65. Damon Rose doesn't show up here. Uh, Merlin shows up attacking Green Arrow in the question uh, because they're in Star City because Lois Lane at some point in this issue is in she is in Star City visiting her father Sam Lane's cabin and in the cabin she's looking she's just looking around looking for something that might be give her a clue as to what the snowman's ticket is and lo and behold she sees a snowman <laughs> on the counter and she picks it up and then she hears an altercation outside and it ends up that literally her entire, the entire boathouse cabin is transported away to Markovia or pardon me, to the, the new country of Leviathan or whatever. And Green Arrow and Question try to prevent the transport of this away, but it's there they're too late. Lois Lane is transported away in, in her father, Sam Lane's cabin to uh, Leviathan, to the country of Leviathan and where she ends up talking to Levi uh, Leviathan, Mark Shaw, and the conversation goes nowhere. He just, <laughs> and then there's a flashback to when, uh, there's a flashback to when uh, Tally Al Gaul was captured. Uh, when Talia Gall and Robin were captured by Leviathan, Leviathan, they had a conversation that went nowhere. He just transported Robin to a school because he found Robin. He found Damien annoying, and then with Talia, Talia escapes, tries to escape, kills a bunch of Leviathan's men, and then she's about to be killed by Leviathan, and then Superman shows up, and then there's a convert. Again, there's a conversation with Superman that we, we don't get to hear. And then it flash forwards again, because that took place in the past to today. And and then Leviathan asks Lois, did your husband tell you about the conversation I had with him the last time I met with him? And like, I don't care. I don't care. 
I'm so frustrated with this. I apologize to those listening on the podcast because you're probably frustrated with me because I know I was all over the place with that. I'm trying to sound organized here on this review, but I can't. It's my, I'll accept responsibility. But I'm, this is a very, I thought this was badly put together. And I, I sincerely hope, uh, you know, Jason, you can do a better job. Maybe you got more enjoyment out of this than I did, but I, I'm just frustrated. I'm just so annoyed. Damon Rose isn't even in this issue. Damon Rose, spoiler alert, is supposedly Lois Lane's brother, by the way. Um, and he doesn't even, he's, who is Damon Rose? He's on the cover. He's not even anywhere in the issue. What is this? This is absolute nonsense. Unless there was a screw up on the preview pages we got. Uh, but this is absolute insanity. I don't know why we're supposed to give a crap about Leviathan. Leviathan is saying the same damn things before. He he can't believe that no one's that the whole world isn't on his side because he's such a genius. He can't figure it out. He's and I'm I'm just sick of it. I just I'm absolutely sick of it. All these people, like, oh my god. I, anyways, I'll stop talking, Jay's man. But I, t- it, I don't know. Are you getting anything out of this? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting a little, and what I'm getting is is not good. Uh, what I, what I got from this issue is is what I got from when it was first revealed that Leviathan was Mark Shaw. That makes no sense. Mark Shaw, Leviathan is is clearly a deluded person who thinks that for whatever reason they are more capable of of bringing peace to the world than, than superheroes or any other smart, intelligent people. And, and they know better the arrogance. Uh, that's not, it's so wildly out of character with, with Mark Shaw. It makes no sense. Like, you know, and it's not like Mark Shaw had his own series or was some super popular character as Manhunter that, you know, Bendis couldn't take him and ruin him. Nobody really cares <laughs> about Mark Shaw, but I care in as much as it, it doesn't make any sense. Like you're, you're just going, you might as well just go and, you know, pick a random character and say, okay, this guy's going to be going to completely act different than he's ever acted in any comic he's ever been in throughout his entire publication history because reasons, basically because Bendis wants him to, it doesn't make any sense, but I guess it doesn't have to make any sense in Bendis world. He's just going to tell the story he wants to tell. So you know, whatever, I mean, that's his prerogative, but at least give us the story. Cause to Rocky's point, this jumps around so much. What it ends up feeling like is Bendis doesn't know how to get, he doesn't know how to connect all the points of his story together. So he cheats by jumping around and skipping over. Well, I, I want to imply that there was this really impactful and important conversation between Mark Shaw and Superman but I don't know how to actually write that or what exactly it should say. So I'm just going to imply that it happened and I'm not actually going to write it. It feels lazy. It feels like a cheat. Um, just can just for once in your life, Bendis, can you just tell a story where you start at point a and just go forward without jumping around and all the flashbacks and stuff like it doesn't serve any purpose other than to be confusing for the reader. And yeah. trying to figure this stuff out. And it just, it, like you said, it's sort of nonsensical. And even at the end, like, okay, forgetting about the fact that we didn't actually get to see the conversation that Mark Shaw had with Superman. Maybe we'll get it next issue. If we do, I'd be surprised if it's the whole thing and get a snippet here or there of that conversation. But even so, then at the end, he 
Mark Shaw, as Rocky uh, intimated, says to Lois, did your husband tell you what I told him when he invaded my country? Okay, like basically coming across to me as like a warning. Like, why are you here, Lois? Weren't you warned by your husband? You teleported the entire boathouse. She's there because you brought her there. Why are you... In you know, intimidating her and threatening her. Oh, you shouldn't be here. Didn't your husband warn you? Yeah. You brought her there. You brought her there. She's there because of you. So why are you th- threatening her? She wouldn't be there if it wasn't for you. It makes no sense. It doesn't make. And plus, people forget Leviathan is a wanted terrorist. Like you, you can't, you can't. I mean, he, what he did was world. He he's an he's a domestic terrorist. He's a worldwide terrorist. He, you can't destroy all the world's intelligence organizations and not be a wanted terrorist and then get away with it by simply buying a country and saying, I'm a leader of a country now and now you can't touch me. It's like, yeah, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm not buying it. I mean, I get it. You know, he, he, he somehow bought UN diplomatic immunity, et cetera, et cetera. So there's in-story explanation for it in, in the past, but still it's just, it's just, it's a really hard pill to swallow. It's just, I yeah, just it totally can't. is. It's it totally nuts. is. The, the fact that Bendis has got approval to do this, he's going to buy the country of Markovia. Like, yeah, I get it. It's not like we have a Geoforce book that's out <laughs> right now or Geoforce isn't part of a team, you know, on a, in a book that comes out on a monthly basis. But Bendis is irrever- irrevocably – I can't even say that word right now – irrevocably changing things about the DC universe. Who said this was okay? And, and to Rocky's other point, who cares? The story's not good enough – in my mind, to may- be making these changes to the DC universe, and nobody's reading it, so why is he being allowed to do it? Because nobody cares, and I'm totally leave- leaving. Like I, I, yeah, I was like, okay, who is Damon Rose after the revelation that he could be Lois's brother or claims to be in the pages of Justice League? I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll look forward to finding something out about this guy based on the cover. And yeah, he doesn't even. It's not that he, we don't get any answers about who he is. He doesn't even show up, not even for a single panel. <laughs> and what is this cover anyway? Why is the W different color than the H and the O? I, oh. uh, like I feel it's ugly. It's us- the ugliest cover this week. It is the ugliest cover. I, well, I think it's an I've ugly never, cover. I've never been a big fan of Alex Maleev, but I can't help but think. Okay, so does the H and the O go with the Damon? Should I is is Damon Rose actually an amor- anagram for something else? And we'll find out he's not really Lois's brother. And maybe I should be. Maybe his name's Hodeman. Like yeah. why is why I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why the H and the O right. and Damon are white and the other words are or the other letters aren't. Like I don't. I don't understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna call him Hodeman from now on, yeah. or maybe I'll. <laughs> You know, I'm, 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 I got that flight to Connecticut coming up here in a couple of days. Maybe I'll write all the letters out and see if I can come up with some anagrams for what Hodeman or Damon Rose is. Or maybe I'll put, maybe that's it. Damon Rose weren't, that wasn't enough letters. They needed another H and O. This is the clue. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hodeman Rose. Who, who, who is that? What, what, what names can you make out of Hodeman Rose? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I actually There's thought of no that way. myself. I thought of that, you know, I, I looked at the, and I, I, I did the whole wordplay thing like you, but honestly, uh, I think we're, we're giving the creative team way too much credit, <laughs> way too well, much credit. <laughs> if there was an L in there anywhere in Hodeman 
or Rose, then you could maybe pull out the L A N E for Lane and then, yeah. you know, move the other stuff around to try to come up with his first name. But yeah, you're probably right. We're giving him way too much credit. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe some people out there are enjoying Checkmate. I'm just ready for the whole, I, you know, I said it when it happened in the pages of Action Comics. I wasn't a fan of the, this Leviathan <laughs> Rising. It felt like, God, it just felt bad. Uh, I'm thinking back to the, the magical Kryptonian Superman got turned into a Middle Eastern guy. Remember that when he had like the curly yeah. hair and the big nose? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was so bad. Chaz, right? That was his name, yeah. Chaz. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, he was a, a Chaz, agent of Spiral. Yeah, <laughs> come on. God, just ben, ben is clearly, he just wants to tell the stories he wants to tell. Doesn't matter if it makes sense. So hey, more more power to you, Bendis. But it's got to be entertaining. Like, whatever you know, <laughs> everything counts. Nothing counts at DC now. You got black labels. There's any way, number of ways to tell a story, make it fit into continuity, or not fit into continuity, or figure out a way you could just tell the story you want to tell. And you can throw continuity out the window, and Lord knows Bendis does, and that's fine. Whatever. If the editorial says that's the way it's going to be, then that's the way it's going to be. They call the shots. But the story still has to be entertaining on its own you know we just got finished talking about batman superman gene luen yang is to some extent doing the same yeah. thing he's ignoring yeah. continuity he's not throwing anything out he's not contradicting anything and he's not pulling characters out of the past dc universe and ruining them but he's just telling the story he wants to tell and you know he doesn't care if it fits into continuity or not yeah well, the, but the we're enjoying thing Go ahead, yeah, sorry. we're enjoying that because it's a good story. Yeah. This, not so much. Uh, well, what's frustrating here, too, is Damon Rose is apparently an uh, assassin. We we think we thought he was an assassin with Leviathan. It was implied at the end of Checkmate number one. But then in Justice League 64, Damon Rose shows up and, uh, and attacks Black Canary and Green Arrow. Then in Justice League 65, issue 65, Damon Rose apparently reveals himself to be an agent of checkmate or he's not a bad guy and he's the brother of lois lane none of this has taken place in the pages of checkmate that has on its cover on issue two who is damon rose and he's not even in the issue so i mean again uh again this is just you know this is a cheap way of propping up uh, a, a miniseries that nobody i don't i don't think anybody's buying this I mean, I don't, I don't know what the sales are on this, but the sales, I, I think, were pretty bad for, for Event Leviathan to begin with. But I, is anybody buying this series? I don't know, man. But but how many people would buy this, especially this issue, is does terrible advertising? Who is Damon Rose? First of all, nobody knows who Damon Rose is, but if you're interested and you pick up this issue, you, you're going to think that, like, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're not going to go, you're not going to buy issue three. I challenge anybody no. to buy issue three after reading this issue. I mean, come on. Come on. We, we, we yeah. review it because we review the issues, but good Lord, man. Yeah, I'm going to be real curious to see if Bendis has anything to say about, you know, okay, well, maybe, you know, the storyline got moved around and they didn't, they couldn't move around the covers for reasons or what have you. But yeah, it's, this feels, yeah, it feels like a very cheap trick. It should have a little asterisk. Um, yeah. And say, who is Damon Rose? And you know how they do the editor's notes? On the bottom yeah, of the cover, yeah. it can say, see Justice League 65. Because yeah. that's where you get more of an idea of who Damon yeah. Rose is. Because it's not mentioned here. Yeah, with much better art, I might add. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, Detective Comics 1040 is up next. The Weekender. Marika Tamaki is the writer. Dan Moore returns as the regular artist. Jordi Belair on colors. Aditya Bidikar on letters. Uh, a really cool variant cover from Lee Bermejo. 
And there's also a Batman or a, a Batman, a man bat <laughs> backup. Uh, that's pretty decent, actually. Uh, we'll talk about that in, in more detail in a second, but uh, I'll go ahead and give the uh, creative team now. It's written by Dan Waters. Max Rayner gives us some incredible artwork. Arif Prianto does colors and Rob Lee on letters. Um, in the main book, you know, we, we did see, and we, we talked about this when we talked about Secret Files. Uh, last issue, Hugh Vile was, uh, had confronted and infected um, Huntress, and she got taken to the hospital. Vile was uh, basically looked like he was mortally wounded. He was, he was stabbed by the Huntress, uh, but somebody, we didn't know who it was at the time, somebody sort of whisked him away. And we thought, well, we haven't seen the last of him and how long will it be before he shows up again? Well, the answer is in the very next issue. Uh, and we also saw that Bruce Wayne was going to turn himself in to the police because he didn't feel like he could be a fugitive as Batman and Bruce Wayne and try to get to the bottom of what's going on with Hugh Vile and this parasitic infection that's raging through Gotham City, plus whatever's going on with Simon Saint and the magistrate. Uh, all the while, he's trying to solve Sarah Worth's murder. So it's a, kind of a humorous scene as we start off here. Bruce Wayne just shows up at the uh, midtown precinct of the GCPD and says, yeah, so I was being held at the Fort Grave precinct before it like blew up. <laughs> and the guy, the officer behind the desk is like, oh, yeah, just a second. And they go and they throw him in jail for the weekend, basically, before the uh, Oracle <laughs> is able to <laughs> make sure that she makes very apparent all the information that the detectives on the case need in order to get him uh, get Bruce sprung from uh, from jail, and, and they know that he doesn't have anything to do with Sarah Ward's murder. Uh, we know that he, they didn't really have any proof in the first place. They didn't really have any reason or uh, a good reason, anyway, to hold Bruce. He never should have been held. Uh, they questioned him. He told them what he knew. They weren't charging him, so they should have had to let him go, but it was all because um, Sarah Ward's father had uh, pulled some strings so that Bruce Wayne would be in the precinct when he blew the building up. And obviously we know Bruce Wayne escaped because he's Batman. And so that's sort of going on in the background of, of, uh, of this issue uh, throughout the entirety of it. Meanwhile, like we were saying earlier about the secret files tying in, we see the aftermath of uh, Huntress stealing the, the coat of, uh, of uh, was it Deb Donovan, I think her name is, the reporter for the Gotham Gazette. So we see that uh, that happening here. And there's, of course, a little blurb. Follow the uh, adventures of Huntress and Batman Secret Files Huntress. Um, and then we get a flashback to this man that's in uh, the drunk tank or in the holding cell with Bruce throughout the weekend who I, I kind of didn't really see the point of this, but who seems to have seen Bruce yeah. <laughs> take his mask off as Batman at one point and knows Bruce Wayne's Batman, but he only knows that when he's drunk. And when, by the time he sobers up on Monday morning, he's, he's forgotten. He even has that conversation. I didn't really understand the point of that. Yeah, um, I, I know. But, I, I thought it was an odd, it was an odd d detour from the story. Yeah. And the other part of it was, well, if, you know, usually it goes the other way around. Like the guy knows something and then you get him drunk and he forgets. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's pretty dangerous. If the guy only remembers this when he's drunk, you know, and he's in some yeah. bar getting drunk and he starts blathering about Bruce Wayne as Batman. I guess he's drunk and you're not going to believe him anyway, but I don't he, know. He's a metahuman. That's his superpower. It's like super <laughs> drunk power. Of super, you know? <laughs> super drunkiness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super, super memory when drunk. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. It was kind of weird, but um, by the end of the story, we do have, uh, the Penguin and Worth meeting up 
And apparently the penguin has managed to capture Hugh Vile. So it must've been one of his men that rescued Vile from when he was stabbed by the Huntress and something going on with this group called the jury, uh, apparently. And they've decided that they're going to, in order to kill Bruce Wayne, which is what Worth wants, uh, because he blames Wayne for his daughter's death, even though that makes no logical sense, whatever. Um, they can't kill Bruce Wayne without getting Batman out of the way first. And the way they're going to destroy Batman is by using Hugh Vile, which we see is uh, hooked up to all these machines um, and strapped down. And who knows what they're going to harvest parasites or, or what. But to our point earlier, uh, there was a backup a few issues ago with the Penguin, and we were talking about the Penguin sort of returning to um, a greater level of threat, a higher threat level, uh, being a little more malevolent, feeling a little more impactful instead of just being this sort of glorified uh, owner of a casino who sort of, you know, we know he does things under the table, black market goods and whatnot, but he hasn't, to me, the Penguin hasn't felt like a genuine threat to Batman in a really long time, but it feels like Mariko Tamaki is, is changing that and, the penguin definitely feels like a, a threat here. Uh, so I did enjoy that aspect of the story. Uh, Dan Mora back on art. Great to see. Not that I didn't enjoy the Victor Bogdanovic uh, art, but it's great to see Dan Mora back on it. I think Jordi Belair does a fantastic job on the colors, um, particularly with the story the drunk guy tells where the uh, Mora slightly changes his style. But more than that, the reason the pages look so different is they're colored Differently, it's a much more flat type color, which harkens back to more simpler time in comics before digital coloring, and that uh, works very, very well. The other thing that really stood out for me in terms of the color is I love the yellow shading that uh, that Jordi Belair puts on the Penguin's teeth. You know, everybody else's teeth are significantly whiter, um, and it just gives him that kind of creepy, evil look with the yellowish teeth. So little details like that is why Jordan Belair is one of the best colorists working in comics. So uh, overall, I enjoyed this issue. It just felt like not that much happened. Um, basically, we resolved Bruce Wayne being the fugitive, and we get kind of concrete proof that, yes, the Penguin is l returning to a higher threat level. Other than that, mm, there's not really much that, that happened, but it's still a very enjoyable issue. Great art, great color. So... Uh, I, I did enjoy it. What do you think, Rocky? I actually, I actually really enjoyed this one. I, I enjoyed it, and uh, it was funny because I agree with you that you know, on on the surface, this this guy in the drunk tank talking to Bruce Wayne, it's it is sort of an odd detour, but I, I, it was you know, it's it actually I think ties in. I think it ties into the title of this entire issue. It's called the Weekender. <laughs> this 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 story was called the Weekender, and I think it's I think that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that that title ties into the the drunk who had a weekender <laughs> pulled a, <laughs> maybe had a that's what that's that's what I call a weekender, you know, getting totally hammered, ending up in jail with Bruce Bruce Wayne, and I happen to remember when I'm drunk that he he was he's also Batman. That's uh, that's it, I think it's interesting because we we have so much going on here. We got some we we've got uh, we've got the penguin in the penguin's lounge there negotiating with Mr. Worth saying, look, let's, let's kill two birds with one stone. We'll use Hugh Vile, uh, to kill Bruce Wayne. And then we'll, you know, we'll kill Batman first because, uh, because that's what Penguin wants. And then we'll, we'll kill Batman first and then we'll kill Bruce Wayne. 
and then I guess they can. It's funny that it is a narrative. Uh, I don't understand why Mr. Worth cares about Bruce Wayne. I know, like Mr. Worth, I know that he's he can be insane and he can be crazy, but he's not an idiot. He has to know that Bruce Wayne had nothing to do with the death of his daughter, Mary. So this is really, really odd that he's still angry at Bruce Wayne. I And uh, unless, I, I don't think we missed a plot point there, but I mean, he... I mean, Bruce Wayne survived, so I'm not. I'm not really sure why he so, why he still wants Bruce Wayne dead. I, I kind of miss that, but in any event, uh, I mean, there's uh, my favorite page. Ironically, was there's a beautiful page with Bruce Wayne staring at, uh, you know, the the, uh, uh, I believe it's, uh, uh, what it's it's a fire. I'm not sure. Is that the is that the precinct or is that his uh, is that is that his own is that his own place? No, that's yeah. Th- that's what uh, kind of the opening salvo at the end was that uh, the penguin sent people out to blow up his his townhouse. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because it's uh, it's yeah. He it, says uh, yeah. The iceberg lounge. Okay, I was, okay. Who's up for a little delivery uh, after dinner? We burn something down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Bruce gets to his apartment or his townhouse, and it's all yeah uh, up in flames. Yeah, and so. It's it seems a little bit forced because we know in future state Bruce Wayne ultimately ends up running away, running on the streets and he's be, he, he's attacked and they the person who attacks uh, Bruce Wayne in in future state is ultimately well we believe tied to the magistrate and uh, they they know that Bruce Wayne is is Batman and but the Penguin and the Mister Worth don't know that uh, clearly. So I'm, a, but clearly this is, I think, headed toward future state. So in any event, you really don't need to know anything about future state to enjoy this series. So that's one compliment to Marika Tamaki. Uh, and it's like you and I have stated before, to some extent, our knowledge of future state can sometimes, if we focus too much on future state, might take away from the enjoyment of the organic development of this tale told by Marika Tamaki, which is done, which is actually pretty good. So overall, I'm happy to it. Dan Mora on the art, fantastic. I agree with you on the colors. It's well done. Yeah, now on to the uh, the Man Bat backup. Uh, the quiet and unsung death of Kirk Langstrom. You want to talk about quiet and unsung? Like I, I had no idea they were going to kill off Man Bat. Um, me, me neither. <laughs> man, not that Man Bat has necessarily been a you know a linchpin of the DC universe, and I, I would make the argument that Man Bat has never been more important than in um, James yeah. Tynan's uh, run on on Justice League Dark. Yeah, and, and we've enjoyed. we've not been reviewing we've not been reviewing the Man Bat series either. <laughs> it's the one thing where it's the one comic we haven't been reviewing. Yeah, and that that one was okay, but I wasn't sure where it fit in. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a black label book, but it it didn't necessarily feel like it it fit in. And what's interesting is that was written by Dave Wilgaz, who's the associate editor on some Batman titles, including the associate editor on this Quiet and Unsung Death of Kirk Langstrom. I feel like Man Bat, like I said, his profile was risen by his membership in Justice League Dark, and he was handled very well there. And I feel like he was more liked. Uh, and maybe a little more well-known than he's been in a long time. And then they kill him. And I, I don't know why. I, did, they must have a reason for this, right? Nobody's talking about it. And why would you? Because it's just man bat. But I, I just, I don't know. It, it, it's sort of like, why, why does this story exist? Why did you need to kill him? They must have a reason. So for that reason, uh, or, or 
it feels like it must be important. And and even at the end of this uh, backup, they say to be continued in the pages of Detective Comics. Well, the story is in the pages of Detective Comics. You mean <laughs> we're gonna we're, are we gonna are we gonna get like more of this? Uh, like more of this? Is there a second part to this backup story that we're gonna get in next? The next yeah. issue of Detective Comics is that what they mean by continuing the pages of Detective Comics? It almost feels like I don't know. they were going to put this somewhere else, and then and this references the Man Bat um, miniseries that you were just talking about. Um, I, I don't I, I don't know I I I, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I I'm I'm sort of at a loss. I don't know. The story feels like it should be important. It feels like there's a reason it's here. There's a reason that they put it here. Um, but I just, I don't have any context as far as the, the story itself. I, I think it's very well written by Dan waters. Great. Um, great scripting. Uh, the narration from Batman, uh, is very good. The Max Rayner art is fantastic. So good. Gorgeous. Um, yeah. Beautiful line work and the colors by Arif Prianto. Arif Prianto is, uh, I think an underrated color artist, uh, doesn't get talked about enough, but uh, his work here is fantastic as well. So, uh, especially the 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 skyline scenes with all the lights and the buildings and and you know moon in the background and whatnot, it's all done very very well. So, yeah, I and mean, there's even a, a little heroic turn for for Man Bat at the end. So I found myself a little sad <laughs> that he died, and again feeling like they killed off Man Bat and there's no fanfare at all. I feel like he deserved better, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he's not really dead. I guess we'll have to wait and see, but it feels like it should be important and I need to pay attention to this, but I'm just not sure why. So I don't, I don't know. What'd you think Rocky? Uh, I actually am surprised. I would have preferred to have a, I, the uh, secret files or the, the unsung heroic death of the unsung death of man, bat, one shot as opposed to a, a hunter's secret files to be honest with you i mean i could have had the, the hunter's secret files as i said before as we said it could have probably just been eight issues <laughs> despite the great art i mean it could have been eight issues and as a backup and the man bat you know the full story could have been i think you mean eight pages you eight said eight pages. issues yeah eight, eight pages yes sorry yeah. but here i mean in fairness they did give man bat his own series i mean this this comes off of man bat this follows man bad issue five according to the editorial note uh, and i've yeah, not but don't you feel like if you were gonna why did they give him that series if they were just gonna kill him that's <laughs> just it that's I, I agree with you 100 percent. like it's like it's like nobody was reading that series so that well, well nobody's gonna know he dies if we do it put it in the series so we got to put it in <laughs> detective comics because that way some so somebody knows i mean uh uh, just goes to show you, Man Bat can't sell his own comic book. So maybe I'm wrong. He shouldn't. He shouldn't get his own one shot. But it, maybe if you just advertise the fact that he's actually going to die, you know. But uh, in any event, uh, this did actually. I thought this was a uh, actually a heartfelt. I actually felt that what Batman did a little bit that uh, I felt for Kirk Langstrom. There was a great line the, the, that uh, he fights off a demon with the gap between Kirk and Man Bat. And there's a gap in his soul, and that's what the demon capitalized on, and that the demon capitalized on that and and split and 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 killed Kirk Langstrom. But he was still alive, and he managed to fill that gap by by being the man, by making a choice, by with the love he had for Francine, and that he was a better man than even Batman 
thought he was because Batman said at the beginning that he always thought Langstrom lacked the willpower and that frankly, Bat- he, Kirk Langstrom was an individual who always disappointed the people closest to him in his life. And he was finally, he finally became that the the better man that, that everyone hoped and that Kirk Langstrom felt he could be by, by, you know, he did, he was a member of Justice League Dark. He was, uh, he's quite a good member of Justice League Dark. He's one of the more interesting members. He's, I like his rapport in Justice League Dark, the rapport that, uh, that Man Bat has with, uh, Bibbo, the detective chimp, I, <laughs> I, I enjoy. And, you know, uh, again, he. This is not a Man Bat is not a character that that a lot of people love. Let Let's face it. But he is getting some degree of redemption here. Now, it's very odd that this is going to continue. Uh, how can it continue if he's dead? Is Is Francine going to become the new Man Bat? Are they Are they gender swapping Man Bat now, and it's going to become Francine? I think they're doing that with a number of Bat with uh, Bat of uh, the Batman's Rogues Gallery. So maybe they're changing it up that way. Uh, so and that would even make sense because Man Bat could still, if he's if Man Bat's soul is in hell or is in the afterlife, they could still probably use Man Bat Kirk Langstrom in Justice League Dark because it's all magic and all that mumble jumble stuff. So you could still have that, and also you could have Francine as maybe a female Man Bat. That's just me speculating. I don't know, but overall, I thought this was a this was a really good story. I was actually surprised. It actually makes me, you know. Uh, it makes me wonder what on earth did they spend five issues on <laughs> that series? It was nicely summarized up here. You didn't need to need, I didn't need to read five issues of man bat to get to this point, but Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And like to tell a story this good about man bat, it just, I, yeah. I didn't, and I, yeah, if they make Francine man bat, I mean, do you call her woman bat? I mean, she's not yeah. a man. Yeah. <laughs> that, that wombat or woman? Yeah. yeah, woman bat, female girl, girl bat. I, no, I don't wombat, know that wombat. wombat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. But you're right. It is a very heartfelt story and, and sort of that the opening line and then how it all ends. You know, Batman saying that he just felt that Kirk Langstrom was somebody who, who lacked will, you know, weak-willed. And then ultimately, the way Kirk Landstrom defeats this demon that, uh, or whatever it is, this monster from from hell that managed to take a root inside him, is through his very willpower itself. So, kind of proving proving Batman wrong. To your point, Rocky, uh, showing Batman that that he was a better better hero, better person than than even Bruce Wayne thought. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to see seeing what else. This is probably like you know to go to why didn't we read five issues of Man Bat? This one, you know, backup of Man Bat was better than any of the issues or the whole entire five issue series. Not to say that was bad. It's just that this was really, really good. So, Uh, all right. Up next, we have uh, Harley Quinn number five from uh, writer Stephanie Phillips, art and cover by Riley Rosmo, colored by Yvonne Placencia, lettered by And World Designs. No Good Deed Part Two. I don't really have much to say. I did read it, but I, I sort of skimmed it. Um, you know, I've talked in the past about how I'm just not a big fan of, of Harley and I'm not a big fan of Riley Rossmo's art, although I do think it works perfectly for Harley Quinn and her zaniness. Um, and if you're a fan of Harley, you probably like this, but uh, I'm not a fan of Harley, so I'm kind of indifferent. So um, I'm going to leave it at that and uh, we'll give you a chance to tell us what you thought, Rocky. All right. I... Let me see. Sorry here. 
I enjoyed I enjoyed this issue. I've been enjoying this series. I've been enjoying, uh, you know, writer Stephanie Phillips has uh, she's entertained me here. This this is just this is a lot of fun. I th- I don't know, man. I'm this is just a blast. This is uh, this issue opens up with uh, what looks to be a battle between uh, two Batman, and it, it, this is this is the title of this is a No Good Deed Part Two. And of course, we can finish that in our head. That, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And of course, that's probably the story of Harley Quinn right now because she's trying to do good deeds, but she always it always seems to backfire on her. And she's uh, Harley Quinn has basically tried to uh, infiltrate Hugo Strange and to rescue the patients that Hugo Strange has because there's a lot of people that fall, fall from the fallout of Joker War were dressing up as, as clowns and they're clearly psychotic people that they need therapy and Hugo Strange is going to provide that therapy but Harley Quinn feels she's better to do that so she wants to help out by rescuing these patients from Hugo Strange who's experimenting on them and the, the opening sequence is is basically Harley Quinn dissecting psychologically dissecting Hugo Strange by suggesting that he's got all these complexes and he's uh, uh, he's got developmental issues and she's really getting into his head and you know why is Hugo Strange so obsessed with Batman and maybe it's a sexual thing and she's po- poking fun at his masculinity and I, I I just like the dialogue here this is fun. And at some point, you know, she's essentially she she knows she is basically trapped by Hugo Strange, and but she's clearly getting on his nerves. Uh, I think Riley Rosmo's art here. I've I've become accustomed to it. I I find it. Uh, I think it works, and it 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 works well. And he Riley Rosmo, you know, he's got such a strong, powerful, stylized art. But one thing he does do is that you do un- you do know the emotions of the characters that he draws. You might not like the style upon which he draws his characters, but you know the emotions that they're feeling, and you know what's happening in each panel. Uh, at least, at least most of the time. I mean, I, I've uh, sometimes I took issue with his art in Legion of Superheroes, uh, the Future State Legion of Superheroes. At times, it could he, he's not good at pushing too many people on the. If there's too many characters on the page, Riley Rosmo's art sometimes it, it suffers, but here. To, to great effect, he does a he, he does a pretty good job here, and and the and the narration by by Stephanie Phillips is quite good. At one point, at one point, Harley does have a plan here, and her plan is to go and use the washroom of <laughs> of of the of the lab, and she needs to use the washroom because, and then when one of her hidden teeth, she's got a homing beacon that she takes out of her mouth, she flushes it down the toilet. And, and then she, and then it causes the, you know, causes the toilet to overflow. And then she attacks the guards and the guards are saying, why are you attacking us? You can't go anywhere. You know, you can't escape. Well, she, then she kind of electrocutes them with their own rods. And then what that homing beacon was in her tooth, it attracts, it attracts Solomon Grundy. While, so, so while Solomon Grundy comes into the place, she's rescuing her sidekick, Kevin and Kevin is her sidekick with the uh with he's got that double triple chin that he's got another face tattooed on his double triple chin which I think Riley Rosmo is probably the best artist to draw the sidekick Kevin because I think he does a really good job and it this is really good I mean Harley Quinn's got her own eclectic group of of sidekicks here and it's real it's odd to think of Solomon Grundy as sort of a a sidekick but he certainly uh, you know, 
I mean, leave it to Harley to, to befriend Solomon Grundy, of all people. And then at the end, she, she she does end up rescuing all of the patients. So she steals Hugo Strange's uh, patients uh, from him. And, and at the end, and uh, she even acquires in a, a plushy doll. I mean, there, Stephanie Phillips introduces these these playful moments for Harley, the zaniness of it, and it does. It definitely goes back and forth. And I have an appreciation, I think, for Riley Rosmo. I I do think he is a good artist for for Stephanie Phillips' interpretation of Harley. This has actually grown on me. I'm in. I, I I'm enjoying this series, and um, it ends with. It ends with Harley uh, being uh, reunited with, well, talking with Solomon Grundy, Kevin, and all these other. It looks like there, it's an odd, eclectic group of patients that I'm sure we're going to get to meet in future issues. And and then we, this new villain called Keepsake is working with Hugo Strange, and apparently we don't know what their plans are, but uh, whatever their 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 plan was. That's that's why they call it a cliffhanger. Hugo Strange still has plans with this new villain called Keepsake. He he's odd looking. He seems to have sort of an umbrella for a, a weapon and odd looking guns and mask. He, he looks really really odd in a face mask, almost like a fiery kind of face. He's got a weird costume. Kind of looks like a goofball, and he's short. He's much shorter than Hugo Strange. So I don't know if. Uh, What's interesting when Riley Rosmo draws a character, and I, I don't mean this to put down Riley Rosmo, but I always wonder what somebody like a uh, an artist like Ivan or like Ivan Reese would draw a keepsake, because Riley Rosmo has such a stylized version when he draws characters that if it's a new character like Keepsake, I wonder what Keepsake is going to look like <laughs> if somebody like Jim Lee drew him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is there going to be details that otherwise we would miss? In any event, it's just one of those things I think of. But I, you know, you know, again, this this isn't going to be for everybody. I think the the art, art artistically, it's an acquired taste. But I think if I, I I personally disagree with people that that think that Stephanie Phillips doesn't quite get the maybe doesn't get Harley or the humor. I think she gets Harley. I think she's having fun with this. I'm having fun with this. This is a fun read, and this is this is a fun read that it's it's not really connected to the larger DCU. Although it, I guess it is. You can fit it in to what's happening in Gotham and the Magistrate, because we know that Hugo Strange ultimately does end up working with the Magistrate and what have you. Uh, uh, but in any event, I enjoyed this, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you skim read it, because it's, it's the, 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 the humor is in the details of this issue, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's just not it's just not my my cup of tea. I did enjoy the bathroom scene. You know, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say that I I skim read it, but I you know I probably read every page and read every word, but I certainly didn't. You know, it didn't have my full attention. It didn't grab me. I didn't read it multiple times like some of the other the other books. But again, I just I feel like it's just not for me. I'm just not a Harley fan. Um, but I, I will say I've, I've I'm more. I'm paying more attention to Harley than I ever have, and that's all credit to Stephanie Phillips because I'm a huge Stephanie Phillips fan. So, <laughs> uh, All right, well, let's move on to the next book we're going to talk about. Uh, it's Mr. Miracle, Source of Freedom, number three, from writer Brandon Easton. Uh, the artist is Fico Osio. 
we have colors by Rico Renzi and letters by Rob Lee. Uh, and I thought this was fantastic. What do you think, Rocky? Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought this was really good. I, uh, one of the things that, um, sorry, I'm just going to get to the top here. I first I want to give a shout out to the uh both covers are fantastic. I love this co- cover uh by uh uh Paquette in the shadow of the original Mr. Miracle. Uh it shows a sh- uh Shiloh Norman in the shadow of uh in the shadow of Th- Thaddeus Brown, the original uh Mr. Miracle. And uh somewhere I I, I guess Scott Free's not on there, but th- there, there's a there's an alternate cover here. I'm not sure who does the alternate cover, but it's gorgeous as well. But in any event, gorgeous. Be, uh, the the alternate cover has Mr. Miracle in front with Never Free in the background, and this ne- Never Free is in fact from another universe, and she is the offspring of Scott Free and Big Barda, but from another universe. And um, yeah, Taryn Taryn Clark does the alternate and. I, I felt the same way how awesome that cover was. And they also yeah. did same, same artist. I don't even know if it's a female or a male did another variant cover um, for another book that we'll talk about uh, next I think next time uh, in part two. Yeah. And I, all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, man, I got to pay attention to this Taryn Clark person. Cause they got a couple covers this week that are fantastic. Yeah. He's really, he's really good. Really good. And uh, yeah. So essentially What's happening is this never we, we learn something more about the origin of this never free uh, and this never she is from an alternate universe where in this other universe, uh, apparently Shiloh Norman in this other universe uh, defeated and, and destroyed her destroyed her world, apparently, or de- destroyed her her rule. And uh, she she basically ran the. Uh, she was the leader of the free galactic Imperium. And apparently she blames Mr. Miracle as being responsible for the destruction of her empire. And, and, um, it's an open question whether or not never's empire is actually in this timeline or did she, did she has never free come back to prevent, uh, to kill Scott, to, to skill, to kill Shiloh Norman, to prevent him from, being able to defeat her in the future. That's, that's one of the questions that is asked by Oberon who shows up in this issue because the Shiloh Norman's, uh, Shiloh Norman's PR agent, Vito Slackind or Slackened, <laughs> his press agent, uh, he gets contacted by Oberon and, uh, Oberon basically tells him that, look, you know, I know, I know what's really going on here. I know why this never free is here. I also know some secrets of Thaddeus Brown and some secrets of Scott free. And there's a lot that I have to tell you. Meanwhile, this never, uh, never and Shiloh Norman are just battling each other like crazy. Shiloh Norman has the idea to hack in to the, 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 the green energy creatures that are attacking him they're controlled by source energy. They're, they're source energy creatures and they're controlled by never by never. And so when he, he manages to knock never unconscious and he, he utilizes his mother box to hack into the computer system that are controlling these source energy 
beings. But unfortunately for him, he discovers that it also allows when he connects to the source energy that's controlling these creatures, never uh, anticipated that and actually slowly hacked into his system and, and ultimately stripped Mr. Miracle of all of his uh, equipment, his powers, and basically left him naked and alone at the end of the issue. But while he was hacking into Never's system, hacking into those source energy creatures, that's when he saw into he saw Never's past. He saw her origin, he, and that's where that's where he sort of pieced together what was really happening. And that this Never is is trying to find other mother boxes, and she's looking for other mother boxes throughout the uh, presumably either at different points in time or different parts of the at different timelines in space time in the multiverse it's it's not clear yet we're going to find out more clearly oberon knows more and and we will eventually get to that i got to give a shout out to the the art here i mean the art here by fico osio is just fantastic the color by rico colors by rico renzi are are really really good the uh the origin of of uh never here is just it's so beautifully illustrated and you could see how she was uh she was almost like a like the dictator you could see she came she comes from a place that almost like is like a cross between new genesis and apocalypse uh, I, I got that art artistically and it just you could really see uh you could really see uh the the history as to why she's so upset with Mr. Miracle the the people that defeated her in the future who defeated her free galactic imperium were all carrying uh, flags with Mr. Miracle's face on the flag. So that's why she hates Mr. Miracle. Whether or not that Mr. Miracle is Shiloh Norman or another version of him, I guess we're going to have, we're going to have to wait and see, but um, this is juxtaposed against scenes with his PR agent Vito trying to piece together where Oberon is because because Mr. Miracle is getting sued for copyright infringement and intellectual property theft from many parts of Hollywood uh, and the entertainment industry because they now that they know that Mr. Miracle is this, is this black guy, then they presumably might know he's Shiloh Norman. Uh, you know, Hollywood being what it is, people are suing him. And, and Oberon had to find a way to get their attention. And so Oberon also sued Mr. Miracle and Vito in order to get their attention. And that's how Vito got, got the letter from Oberon through the issue, traced it to Oberon's location, and and at the end we're we're left with uh with Mr. Miracle, Fatty uh Mr. Miracle Shiloh Norman being absolutely defeated and essentially left for left to uh left for dead really and uh never humiliates him and calls him an an arrogant dust mite without purpose, without name, without a legacy and no more miracle a descendant of slaves in a land that considers you subhuman right where you belong. I mean, this is a pretty visceral insult to say the least. And, and then she just takes off and where's she going to go? I guess we're going to have to, uh, uh, we'll have to wait to find out. But next issue, we're going to get the origin of Thaddeus Brown, which I'm very much looking forward to uh, because what was teased on the cover of this issue, we didn't really get I think we're going to get it next issue. So it was a little bit of a cheat, but it definitely whetted my appetite. I love the art. It was very, it, there was thin lines. The color, coloring was fantastic by uh, Rico Renzi. And I'm just, um, yeah, 
I'm, I, I continue to be captivated by Shiloh Norman. And I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm stunned. I would never have thought I'd end up ever being a Mr. Miracle reader. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan of the Scott free version of Mr. Miracle. And I, I, again, the Mr. Miracle backups that we got in the future state weren't very good. Didn't have very good art. And I pretty much didn't care. Um, and I, I remember saying, who the heck was asking for a Shiloh Norman, Mr. Miracle? If you're going to give us a Mr. Miracle series, give us Scott Free, the one that everybody likes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm clearly eating crow here because, as Rocky said, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'll start with the art by, uh, by Fascio. It's, it's, you know, um, it's gotten better every issue. You know, I wasn't familiar with, with uh, Fico's work previous to this. Um I was impressed with it in the first issue and it's only gotten better as we've gone along. Uh, clearly we're getting a very powerful looking Mr. Miracle, but there's so much action and particularly in this issue. Um, if there's any little nitpick I have is that we don't get much character development like we've gotten uh, previously in the first two issues. We've gotten some quiet character moments. We've gotten some uh, poignant character moments from Shiloh Norman this issue so action packed that there's not really room for it. And I, I'm perfectly fine with that um, because what, what pages and what story beats we do get that aren't basically Shiloh fighting against uh, never free are as Rocky alluded to um, they're focused on uh, Salkind, which is uh, Shiloh's agent, right. And, and his search for Oberon. So that all makes sense. Um, so if if that's the way that Brandon Easton wanted to uh, structure it, I'm I'm perfectly fine because I think Vito uh, Slackend is a an interesting character in and of himself, and having a little context for him and whoever his ex wife is that owed him a bunch of money, uh, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. It, it fleshing out uh, the supporting cast uh, because I like I said the first couple issues we did get some some good character moments, and based on the way this issue ends. There's a lot further to go for for uh, for Shiloh Norman, and so I, I was fine with that. But but overall, this is just a wild ride from start to finish with this battle between Shiloh and Never, uh, and that's really the bulk of the issue. And that's where the the artwork by uh, by Osio really shines uh, because he's pulled out all the stops. There's um, there's so much here that that Fico gives us in terms of energy and explosions and big over-the-top fights with any number of, of uh, you know, it's not just Mr. Miracle and Never. There's any number of uh, people in the panels, uh, these these monsters or constructs or whatever they are that Never has brought to the fight. So I thought uh, Fico Osio does an incredible job uh, throughout the entire issue of making it over-the-top, making it fun. The Rico Renzi colors really complement the line work. Uh, the futuristic scenes that Rocky mentioned with never uh, capturing the uh, the mother boxes in the future and turning them to whatever her nefarious purposes are, the the skylines in, in the future, the city with looks like a giant Scott Free and Barda up on the side of this tower that she's standing on. It's all done very, very well. So very impressed. Uh, pulling in Oberon, I, I think, is brilliant by Brandon Easton. If anybody knows all the secrets of all the different Mr. Miracles, it's Oberon, and certainly he can be uh, a mentor to Shiloh Norman in a different way than Vito Slackend is. Um, so I think that works, uh, and I'm glad to see him show up. I've, I've been kind of wondering, well, if, if Shiloh needs help and needs to understand where he's 
come from and what the legacy of uh, Mr. Miracle is. Oberon is the one to tell him. And I've been wondering where he is. So it's, I'm glad to see him show up. Um, yeah, I just, this is, this is really, really good. I'm so impressed with this. It's one of those books that um, really took me by surprise. Cause like I said, I wasn't, I don't know that I'd ever read anything with Shyla Norman in it previous to that future state stuff. And that future state stuff left me kind of cold. And even before then, it just, you know, that preconception of, well, I want to, if I'm reading Mr. Miracle, I want to read Scott free. Um, but like I always say, if you're going to read a series, you got to give it at least a couple issues. And the first two issues of this were great. And the third just continues uh, on its way. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it continue past the six issues. Uh, if the quality of the series is going to be this good. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait and see, obviously, uh, how it all wraps up. Uh, all right. On to the last book. It's Robin number four from uh, Joshua Williamson. We have a different artist on this one. Uh, Gleb Melkinov's taken the month off, apparently, uh, or maybe just needs to get caught up. So Jorge Corona, who has a similar style to what Gleb does, is the artist. Luis Guerrero handles the colors and Troy Petrie handles the letters. We saw at the end of issue three, Robin was tossed off the, a cliff and right before he hit the water, he was rescued by his grandfather, Raz al Ghul. So here we have training day with Raz al Ghul. Basically, Raz has taken him to an island that is uh, real close to the, the, um, the Lazarus Island where the tournament is taking place. And whatever the bat monster bear sort of thing is that was in previous issues of Robin. I didn't read that series because I'm not a Dan Goliath. fan. <laughs> yeah. It's, I know he's Goliath, but I, I don't, I don't know where he comes from or how this pink bat bear dog. <laughs> hi, like I, I have no idea where it comes from, but it shows up here and clearly has a bond with, with Damien and whatever. So um, I thought this was, was okay. It was interesting to see, kind of a more um, I'll say a softer version of, of Ra's al Ghul. Um, I, I thought that was interesting. I thought it made sense with where he's at right now in his, in his life. Um, and he sort of explains that. Um, I thought that the interactions between him and Damien were realistic. Um, and again, I thought the, the art was fine. It was reminiscent of, of Gleb's art. Um, but Ultimately, it's another one of those issues where I felt like I read it and kind of nothing really happened. The most significant event that actually goes down in the book is that Ravager gets killed because apparently everybody on Lazarus Island had to be killed once uh, officially for the tournament to start. And with Respawn, which I agree with Rocky, is a, not only a terrible name, but she's got a <laughs> terrible look. And the, you might as well have like you should give her a subtitle respawn dash the most derivative character in comic book history. She's a <laughs> rip off of everything from Deathstroke to, uh, to Deadpool, to spawn, to, uh, Ravager herself. It's just, it's yeah. ridiculous. I'm, I'm I mean, looking forward to respawn losing the tournament and being killed for, for good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even, even a little bit of spawn with all the, the chains, like it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, yeah. but anyway, I mean, again, it's, it's an okay issue. Um, I'm, I'm quickly losing interest in the Robin series, to be honest with you. Uh, I was sort of on board 
when I heard Connor Hawk was going to play a big role. We got some Connor Hawk last issue, and it still it, it wasn't enough for me to really get pulled in because it didn't feel like any version of Connor Hawk that I'd ever read before. So, yeah, I might I, this might go the way of Harley Quinn for me. It may be just you talking about it and me not having much to say because uh, I, I really didn't care too. Like the issue was fine and the art was fine, but at the end of the day, I was like shrugging my shoulders, like okay. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, this is uh, I think this is fairly surface level uh, characterization for Damien, which, uh, quite frankly, is probably ideally suited for Joshua Williamson, because <laughs> I've been hard on Joshua Williamson in the past. Uh, and, but I've also gone on record by saying I've been enjoying this Robin series for what it is, because this is this this is a lot of fun. And I actually think that there's um I'm 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 not expecting much deep characterization of Damien. In fact, I'm not even sure how how deep, but how much can we really learn about Damien that we haven't already learned? In many ways, this is almost a devolution of Damien's character character because I think I think in many ways he's evolved past this type of characterization. So so now he's they've devolved. Joshua Williamson is sort of sort of treading on old ground here for Damien. I mean. Uh, Damien's always been his own worst enemy and lo and behold, that's exactly the lesson that Raza Gall wants to teach him here is, you know, you're your own worst enemy, Damien, you know, but he's the, he's, but Robin, Damien is both the demon and the detective and Raza Gall, his grandfather really does believe that da- Damien is the better of both him and his father, that he's better than Raz and he's better than Batman. And, I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree. And, and it doesn't mean I don't like Damien. I just, I really don't think Damien holds a candle to his father. And, uh, but I do think he probably is probably would make a better villain than, than Raza Gall, but I don't want Damien to be a villain. Damien is just, I, I just figure Damien is just a young guy. He's just a young punk. He's just a young narcissist, but I mean, he's, you can forgive him when he's young, but when you're still a narcissist, when you're in your, you know, in your late teens and twenties, then that starts to be a problem. You know, of course, Damien always seems to have this ability to still somehow get friends and yet somehow still treat them like shit. And then somehow they come back and they still want to be his friends. Why Ravager gives a crap about Damien, I don't know. Uh, in this issue, Ravager apparently calls the Bat family that ends up meeting up with Damien at the end because, you know, she's kind of, I guess, worried about Damien. And of course, the Bat family's worried about Damien too course they love Damien I get it uh he's you know uh but Damien is not the type of person that ever asks for help that's Damien's Damien's biggest fault that's why Damien got killed in the first place that's why Hawk Connor Hawk defeated him last issue threw him off a cliff I mean uh is because let's face it Damien is Damien is cocky he's arrogant and narcissistic and that and he he's his own worst enemy he Razagal says something very very straightforward here at the beginning and and I and and everybody who is a Damien fan will agree even in fact if you love Damien or hate Damien you can all agree that Damien is his own worst enemy it's you know he he just he's got to get out of his own head and uh whatever Damien ha- is has to work through he apparently you know he apparently is going to uh something that Roz said to him must have tipped him off because Roz he, Roz talks, you know, talks to him, trains him, and then 
just when Ross says to him, says to him something that might help him about, you know, getting out of your own mind, you know, you, you know, you got far too much rage in you, Damien. And it's, you, you know, you got way too much rage in you for a kid that's your age. And, and Damien does. Where's all the rage come from? Like, why is Damien always pissed off? He's always pissed off at the world. And he's kind of out of excuses by now. Like, why is he pissed off? He's Robin. He can be Robin. He could be Robin. He's pissed. He's always pissed off at somebody. And he's always, and he's, and he's a murderer. I mean, we always forget that Damien in this, he's, he's a murderer. He killed, he's killed people. And he, and he, he create, he's created his own prison in the pages of Teen Titans. He's against Batman's wishes. I mean, if Batman had any principles, his own son should be in jail. But so Damien's gotten second chances after second chances after second chances. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to get any kind of meaningful character, actual character development of Damien in this series, but I don't expect it. He ends up looking for a book of immortality. He's still healing from his wounds from Connor Hawk, so he can't. Uh, the League of Assassins, he tracks down the League of Assassins near the end and uh, that apparently have the, uh, this, these, the book of immortality. But before he can try to retrieve it, uh, he ends up being confronted by uh, member the Bat family, which I have to say, I got to tell you right off the bat, this is typical Joshua Williamson taking two steps, one step forward and two steps back. There's no reason why we need the Bat family in this, in this series at all. This is a tournament. Why? So next issue, we're going to have a wasted, we're going to have a wasted issue, issue five with them having a glorified protracted conversation that we've seen him have with the members of the Bat family repeatedly in multiple Batman detective and, and Robin issues in the past. And why? It's a waste of time. It's, uh, I just, you know, let's, I want something new for Damien. Readers want to see something new from Damien. This is supposed to be an experience for Damien. He's supposed to be moving forward as a character. He should be on the island interacting, what, making friends or, or trying to. He was doing that last. That was actually interesting. Getting to know the other new characters which would be kind of cool, especially if they're going to be killed off right away. We we might even build up some emotion, some emotions and some gravitas in that. But Joshua Williamson is not good at doing that, so he's going back to the old tropes. He did the same thing in Flash. He rehashed the same things from arc to arc, and I hate to do it. I want Joshua Williamson to prove me wrong because he has he had as he's had his moments. But this this is this is not much. This is a real cop out of a cliffhanger, and to me. I actually wonder if Joshua Williamson actually knows where he's taking this story. It makes me question it now. But I hope I'm, uh, I'm, you know, uh, whatever. I'm maybe being critical, but I still enjoyed the issue. But let's have fun. Stay on the island and have fun fighting. That was fun. Do your Mortal Kombat, Joshua Williamson. Have fun with that. Don't try to develop Damian Wayne's character. Number one, I don't think you're very good at it. And number two, I don't think people want you to anyway because people love this little bastard narcissist and we love him just the way he is. Yeah, did you hear, speaking of him being a villain, did you hear that he was supposed to be the big bad in 5G? I did, I did. And it, 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 it works with, it explains why some of the Legion of Superheroes stuff under Bendis, why the Legion of Superheroes in the future, in, in the, last year in the Bendis Legion of Superhero books, why they referred to to Damien as, as mini Hitler when he yeah. made an appearance in the 30, 31st century. So yeah, that I, I'm, I'm kind of glad they're not doing that. I, I don't need the Magneto versus uh, Xavier, you know, analogy between John Kent and Damien. I'm, 
you know, do you think is, I can't imagine that that was, well, I think Didio would have got fired anyway, but man, I, you know, when you think of all the creators like Williamson, Joshua Williamson was going to leave, Tinian was going to leave. There was more than, you know, Snyder was already on the way out. Like, Obviously, that that five G storyline, the various storylines, pissed off a lot of creators by the sounds of things. Well, I don't know that it pissed them off so much as they just didn't have anything to say in that in whatever world Didio was creating. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which sort of explains why. Yeah, there's all this new talent that was was brought in. So again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the just the lack of of leadership, lack of cohesive vision, um, and right or wrong, uh, you know. Didio's one to stand by his convictions. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm glad that we're not getting 5G with Damien as this big bad, because first of all, Damien as a character doesn't hold a candle to Magneto. I'm not even talking about uh, <laughs> power level. I'm just talking about like as an interesting yeah. character and as a character with layers. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, you're right. It, for And not necessarily, I won't blame Williamson, but Damien as a character, I feel like it's often, Two step or one step forward, two steps back. I, I couldn't stand him when he first came on the scene, and then gradually it felt like the different. And this was multiple writers. He was maturing. He was learning how to not be an insufferable, unlikable little shit. Um, and he was there was growth, and it, he felt like he was learning, and he was becoming a better person, and he was choosing not to kill, and he was choosing to become a hero. And you're right, like Williamson has has pulled him has thrown out everything that's been done over the past five years. And he's back to being unlikable and arrogant and, and honestly stupid, you know, like for somebody who's supposed to be this brilliant tactician and uh, you know, the, the, the very best of his mother and the very best of his father and the very best of his grandfather, he's already been beaten twice on the Island, you know, like yeah. where's this great fighter. And, and it all comes down to not his actual physical fighting abilities, but what's between his ears and how just illogical and, and stupid that he is. So, uh, yeah, I, as much as I, I did sort of enjoy the whole grandfather, grandson dynamic, um, you know, I just, I'm not liking Damien as a character. I'm not liking how Josh Williamson, like, like you said earlier, has de-evolved him. He's, he's gone backwards. Um, and the things that I have liked about the series, like you said, the, the fun of being on the Island, we got less of that in this issue. And then also, like you said, why, why are Nightwing and Tim Drake and, yeah. you know, everybody else, it's not necessary. Just tell us the Robin's story. That's what yeah. we signed up for. Not I mean, even have- respawn. I mean, I, even the stupid characters that he introduced, uh, Josh Williamson introduced to kill off. I mean, they're still fun. Now have fun with it. Like, just have fun. Have a Mortal Kombat. Just have fun with the story. You know, I just think trying to make this too serious is part of the problem. You know, look, I, I want to make a quick comment. When when uh, when they were su- when he was a super son, uh, Damien, when when Damien, a 10 year old narcissist is 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 humorous and funny. It's funny to, to read about the super sons when they're young like that. But 
Suddenly when they're 14 or 15 and he's being a narcissist and he's being a dick and he's being a smart ass, it comes across very differently on the page than if he's a 10 year old. As a 10 year old, it's funny and humorous, but as a 14 or 15 or six, whatever, however the hell old he is, 14 or, I mean, it's, it, it comes across differently and it's a, it's hard to balance that. And I, and I don't expect any writer to be able to necessarily be able to juggle that. And frankly, if you know, you know, uh, this is why I I'm, I have mixed feelings about the aging up of John Kenton and, and then Damien as well. But I guess that's neither here nor there. I for this series, I I really think I think maybe keeping keeping the humor there, keeping Damien on the island, so there's more humor and there's more sort of you know focus on. In fact, future issues even hint at a relationship between him, ironically enough, and the uh, that girl that killed him. What was her name? <laughs> no clue. I should know it because she's well, the, my hero. Yeah, the girl that killed Damien in the in the second issue. There. Oh, you're talking about? Okay, I thought you were. I thought you were uh, no. re- referring to whoever killed Damien when he died in the new the new fifty two. No, no, the, no, the, um, the new girl. It's going to be his. Rumor uh, has it it might be his girlfriend. Flat, flat wasn't it? Flatline. flatline yeah, flatline. Yeah. See that? That's funny. Like so. Anyways, I hope he has a quick conversation with the. At the end of this issue, I hope he has a quick conversation with Nightwing and spoiler and whatever, and just takes off, goes back to the island, you know, you know, you know, has some sort of good rapport, some argument with Flatline, and then let's see some fights. Let's see some fights, man. Like go fights, you know, fatalities, man. I want to see some good stuff. Like let's have some fun with this. Enough with trying to explore. I mean, stop trying to explore. Damien's character, for God's sakes! I mean, it's a, it's been, it's been done to death already. Let's just have some fun. Anyways, that's my opinion. Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, the other thing that uh, I'll mention about this week's books, uh, obviously, like we said, the other nine will be covered in part two. Now, the other thing is, so, so we have that same ad that we had in in last week's books with Director Bones looking at his tablet, iPad, what have you, but they've changed the questions. The multi multiversal multiversal mysteries to be solved. Uh, we now have, why have the blue and gold dynamic duo reunited? Where is the multiverse is, where in the multiverse is Barry Allen? Why is Amanda Waller targeting young metahumans? What mystery in the multiverse has president Superman uncovered? Who is the world's greatest fighter? And is Gotham city big enough for two dark nights? So just more of the questions, more of the uh, hinting at more of the storylines to come in infinite frontier. So, I just wanted to point that out because uh, I know a lot of people are going to, you know, just skim right over that ad because it's going to, it looks so similar to last week's. They're going to think it's the exact same one. Um, and the artwork's the same, but the, uh, the words have, have changed. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, be sure you join us for part two, where we cover the other nine books that are, um, that are coming out this week from uh, DC and let me go ahead and give you uh, a rundown on the other books that we haven't talked about yet. So we've got uh, icon and rocket season one, number one, we've got infinite frontier. Number three, we've got static season one, number two, we've got teen Titans Academy. Number five, Superman, son of Kal-El. Number one, strange adventures. Number 11, uh, the other history of the DC universe. Number five, Wonder Woman Black and Gold number two and Wonder Woman number 776. So uh, plenty more to come in part two uh, and we hope you will all join us. Don't forget to check out the 
comments, as Rocky said below, for uh, the links to all the details about the auction that's coming up Sunday, August 1st, to benefit Titus in his battle against leukemia. Coming to you live on YouTube, or if you happen to be at the Terrificon convention at the Mahiga Sun Casino and Resort in Connecticut, you can join live. So uh, be sure that you're clicking on that like button and you ring that notification bell for the Comic Boom YouTube channel so you can know whenever new content comes out from Rocky or he's going live. Um, if you are watching us on YouTube and you're not subscribed to the Comic Source podcast, be sure that you do give us a subscription so you don't miss out on any of the content that we put out on a weekly basis. Uh, we're available wherever you find your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, you can even have Alexa play it for you. Uh, or you can just go to your uh, iPod your uh, podcast app. That's what I'm trying to say on your uh, smart device and uh, find us that way. So uh, anything you want to add as we close up part one here? No, Rocky? Uh, just uh, no. Would you, we, again, we just, ha- we, we will have a part two coming out and it'll probably be synced up. It'll probably be, might even be posted alongside this uh, commensurate with this part one. Uh, hopefully I would imagine. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a big week. It's a big week. You know, DC is uh, continuing to grow. I, I hope, I hope sales are uh, are reflecting the uh, qual the quality of the stories here because I'm I'm enjoying DC for the most part and I I, I hope that uh, I hope I hope sales are are doing okay because I I look at some of the sales uh, for DC and it's it's I just I can see the rankings and the rankings are a little lower for some of them and it's really surprising I was really surprised to see Catwoman so low and some of the other ones but uh, in any event that's a topic for another day. <laughs> yep so that does it for this episode for part one everybody be sure you check us out for part two if you want to know about any of those books and we will talk to you next time see you later you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five-star reviews on apple Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.